get it going. It's time to get up. Well, I got to see the face. You have a punch me face or you don't. So I don't know what the proposal is. These guys are here to break it all down. Megatron's kind of a thing of the past, you know, not many people know about that. Now, if he'd have called, uh, said something referred to him like Mandalorian, you know, I think it'd be <laughs> a little more appropriate. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind calling DK the Mandalorian anytime he wants. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Some people listen to music in the morning. I listen to you guys. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Wednesday, December 2nd. This is the starting lineup here on your home of Vancouver hockey, home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. James Sabalski here, Harry Solkowski there, and Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, kicking it with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on Sportsnet 650. What's going Everybody seems to want to fight these days, it seems, pair. Ever since Mike Tyson had his. You know, exhibition match on Saturday, man. Like, it seems like it's nonstop on social media with people talking about wanting to put gloves on, man. Oh, oh last night, right? The YouTubers, the followers, right? You got Bertuzzi riled up. Maybe Eddie will have some some issues. Yeah, but everybody uh, wants to fight. And uh, you're sitting in a lazy boy chair and you're wondering, hey, we should, uh, we should reach out. I couldn't believe what we'll get into in a second. Everybody who steps up, I'm just super excited because on a Wednesday, on a Wednesday, we get to turn on our TVs and uh, watch the lighting of the Rockefeller tree, which gets about 6 million people apparently every day. So that'll be tonight. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Man, it's like, isn't it funny over the course of NFL history, when, I mean, there's like the the legendary, the infamous Heidi game that goes back yeah. what, around 50 years ago where, you know, the broadcasters or the NBC dumps out of an NFL game at a critical time so they can get to the broadcast of Heidi because, well, that's pretty much what America wanted 50 years ago where the lighting of the Rockefeller Christmas tree, you know, in New York City has prioritized the... NFL broadcast. Like you think like NFL ratings winner. Like broadcasters pay billions of dollars, and like every broad major broadcaster in America, Fox has a piece of the pie. CBS is a piece of the pie. Disney, ABC, ESPN, they've got their cut, and then NBC as well. But the lighting of a Christmas tree in the middle of a pandemic is clearly important. And based on light sales this year, pair, I think everybody wants to prioritize a Christmas tree lighting over a football game. Like, that's the crazy thing. You would, you <laughs> People know, that, prioritizing. That may be exact, yeah, you may be exactly right that that kind of priority wants to take place with them. I, I just, you you know, Pittsburgh plays today and we joke about it, but then Pittsburgh's going to have to go at it again on Monday, right? There's, there's nothing easy uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I think they have come up with this attitude that, okay, it's us against the world. Sure. I mean, it's look, I mean, it's you've got to adapt, you know. Yeah. Okay. This is what you're going to do to us. Mike Tom's done a good job with that. But yeah, you know what? Why are you guys playing tonight? Ah, they're lighting a tree. No, no, no. Seriously. Why aren't you playing tonight? Oh, is there a president making a speech? No, no, no. They're lighting a tree. So I'm up for it, though. Hey, our schedule works out well. 1230. We get to watch a little bit of football. We get to watch Chase Claypool. So looking for forward to a, a game i think i haven't played on a wednesday since the 40s so you think about it they'll have the well it's not even the trifecta what's the word for seven they will have played every day this year because there's a friday night game 
scheduled as well in the NFL in 2020. So they will have played every night of the week. And a lot of people talked about it. They'd have to be flexible, and that's what they will be tonight with some football. <laughs> well, I mean, if there was ever a year to be flexible, this is this is the year, right? And to try to <laughs> adapt and overcome. And we're going to finally get the Ravens and the Steelers. Two more positive tests uh, yesterday for Baltimore. And they're going to play. They're going to play. They're going to try to make it happen. So we'll find out. And then we've got a Christmas tree lighting because, man, like, just quickly on this, it is crazy. Like in our in our community, like we live in Delta, and they had a light up uh, Delta event last night set for seven o'clock, asking everybody just you know, hey, turn on your Christmas lights and let them go, and you know, let people you know experience. Remember when that involved booze? Light up Delta <laughs> just means you're having a big community party. Yeah, they call it Halloween. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, totally. But honestly, like people, I don't know, like I. Go into a store right now and try to buy Christmas lights. I don't think you can. Like, the shelves are bare. Like, there's not, like, stuff has been picked clean. Brendan was talking about wanting to buy one of those big light-up mooses. Like, not the inflatables, but the ones that have all the lights around them. You can't yeah. find them. Like they're they're gone. They're all sold out. There was like five of them at a store the other day. We went to go check them out. The next day they were gone. You know, and they're not yeah, the cheapest. Yeah, I tell ticket. you what, I've that has been a conversation that I've tried to sneak in for about four years, and we've got a, a fair number of trees on our property. And I said, oh, it wouldn't be great to have a moose just lit up in the way back. We have a giant rooster, uh, that's just always there, a piece of art. Um, but I thought a moose would be in the back. But you're right. I did that two days ago. I went into Canadian Tire to buy. We were short of some red lights on this one tree. Oh, I'll go buy, find some red lights. It was still November 30th. I walked in, let alone trying to get by anybody to be social distanced to get to the part of the area that had the stores. It literally was kind of like that slow walk going into an arena. Well, we're moving, but hang on. I got to get by three or four people until I get there. And then social distance to try and find it like i was gonna ask the kid and, and thank goodness he found some lights like okay is this the possibility that you can re-up an order right away because your shelves are bare it's not even december 1st and i'm sure you would find it in every store it's amazing if you didn't get in the game I and mean, i know i saw a picture you got your tree up if you didn't get in the game already and it's december you're gonna hang on this might be a little late um no, I, I went for a walk last night as I try and recoup from surgery, and I was close as at like 9,300 steps. And I thought, you know what, I'll just walk up, up the street a little bit, take a peek at the lights. Everybody's got their house lit up already. My problem is my timer. I now find out my timer is about 35 minutes off, and it bothered me last night, so I don't know if I'll make the switch. <laughs> Backyard looks great. The driveway, which is all lit up, takes an extra 45 minutes. I went for the walk. The driveway wasn't lit up, so now I know exactly when it lights up at our place. Yeah, that's what it's come to COVID too much time inside <laughs> the, the, the COVID timer. No, it's uh, man. It's crazy. Like, uh, you know, if you, you had to be on this early too. And I don't know, like, I don't know if yeah. this is a case of penis envy in the neighborhoods for people, but I, I don't know. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar lumber text line. But are you, are you on steroids this year with your Christmas lights? Because it just seems like everybody's going in this direction and everybody wants to fight pair the latest, Jose Canseco yesterday chiming in that he wants to fight one of the and I guess maybe it was uh, maybe a little bit of a slip on his part where he suggested, uh, you know, the the Logan brothers as opposed to the Paul brothers um, taking aim at Logan Paul, Jake Paul's brother, uh, saying, you know, 
I'd love to, you know, step in the ring and take care of any of those uh, Logan brothers. To which Logan Paul, with maybe the dirtiest response ever, right? Well, you know what? I I chuckled. Like, I don't know this Logan Paul guy or what his deal is and then what Bertuzzi says. He's got that punchable face. But so I didn't know his history. But I didn't know he dated Jose Canseco's daughter, who was an Instagram model. So when Jose chirps him like Evander Kane does, hey, you know what? You want to fight somebody, fight me. And so we can only assume the relationship between girlfriend and girlfriend's father wasn't great with this guy. I kind of chuckled at it. Jose goes after him. His response is, sure, I love smashing Consecos. Wow. (laughs) And then it was on. Now I think it's real. Now I think Jose is looking for a bat and going, I got to find this guy. That's um, it. If you're a, if you're a father of a daughter, man, like you know, it's, well, it's the like somebody's got to die here, right? Like if somebody's exactly. talking like, like that publicly, it became, it, it became real. It became real oh for God. for Jose. But listen, I think okay, this guy's a smart ass, and he's got all these people following, and Jose just jumped into an arena on social media that he can't compete with. So. Who knows, man, but it was fun. But, man, Buster Douglas last night. I'm going to assume Buster's sitting around in a chair Saturday night, maybe eating some nachos. I could do that. I could do that. He wants Mike Tyson now, and it keeps on going, James. Sure. Like, who doesn't want to make a couple million dollars stepping into the ring and piggybacking off Mike Tyson like so many others did? I mean, Evander Holyfield's dangled his price tag at $25 million to get back into the ring for a trilogy fight against Tyson. I mean, every, everybody wants to get in. But, okay, so tell me this. You know, Evander Kane's chimed in. We've heard Robin Leonard chime in. We've seen Ryan Reeves try, chime in. Everybody wants a piece of Jake Paul. A lot of other athletes as well. Give me, Give me some dream celebrity fights you'd like to see. Well, here's the thing. Like, like, I would love to be a matchmaker. I would love to be a, a non-criminal Don King. I, my hair might be a little bit different, but I think there is some value in having some fights. I think people out there would come see it. And right. it doesn't have to be, hey, here's the big screen, here's the big athlete. There are some matchups. How about this? We watched, we watched what was essentially the press conference. Let me at him, let me at him. And that would have built up great for a Saturday night fight. But I don't care about the age. You tell me that people in Vancouver, when they find out, hey, there's going to be a fight on charity. What's, who's fighting who? Oh, it's a bunch of different fights. John Tortorella is fighting Bob Hartley. What? Huh? Torts and Hartley are finally going at it? Shane O'Brien's not going to get in the way? There are no dressing room walls? Right then and there. I'd want to see that fight, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, but is there that much of a history between, outside of the one moment between periods? All you need. Like, is there a long That's- history? Yeah. That that's all you need, man. Conor McGregor does it like that. You find out also on that card that Donald Brashear and Marty McSorley are going to go at it. Really? Mm, you know, I thought about that one. You know that because that was I don't know if that was ever really resolved, right? Yeah. All of a sudden on social media, you find out that Feder Fedorov starts barking. You know what, Kevin Bieksa? He spent the last twenty years telling everybody about this fight in in uh, in Winnipeg. I had too much vodka that day. I was not ready for the fight. It was a sucker punch. I want to clear the air once and for all. I want BX in the ring. Don't tell me people are going to watch that one. That story has grown and grown. Fedor Fedorov, he's Drago, right? 
he's working out. I can already, I, you, you can do the pre-fight of Hamill. You, 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 you got the sizzle reel. Big, strong kid. Bieksa pictures all over the place. There's Bieksa living the life in front of the TV and in California, not worried. There's your matchup right there. Give me someone from the Houston Astros. Give me someone from the LA Dodgers. Give me some garbage cans and let them go at it. And say, really? Finally, we're going to clear the air. There's lots of fights that could be out there for you, James. And I think people would go see them because there's there's anger in sports. There's emotion in sports. Sometimes they get to clear the air on the ice if it's two athletes. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people would still like, man, I'd like to get my hands on that guy just for just for a couple of minutes, right? Sure. Uh, give 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 us your celebrity dream exhibition boxing match, if you will, on the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty. Okay, here's here's three. Okay, number one, one of these individuals suggested about renting a barn to kind of settle their differences, but Brian Burke and Kevin Lowe. Remember when that yep. that got that escalated to another level? You know, they're chirping each other publicly for a long time. There was a lot of bad blood, Berkey and Kevin Lowe. I feel like I'd want to see that, even at this age. Oh, and I you know, listen, Berkey's a guy when it comes to celebrity boxing, and you know, there's no age to this. That Berkey would probably, and at the end of the day, if the fight never got going, uh, you know, the the press conference hype with Berkey is going to be great because essentially that's what it was. Berkey did that in Penticton. The whole Dustin Penner thing, he just went at him. We were there. Greg McEwen was there. I was there with two respective cameras. And, yeah, no, I, I'd see that. I, I'd go see Perky. Okay. Well, How about part this of a from big a Canucks card, standpoint, right? Pear? You, you remember the Canucks fans uh, that were regulars uh, at Rogers Arena, GM Place, a few years ago, there was a, a sequence of uh, – videos in between uh, vignettes that were shot. I think Joey Kenward was the MC or the host of these. It was Sedin versus Sedin. But we never saw them in the ring. What about Daniel versus Henrik? Yeah. And who wins? You... Um, Henrik on points. See, I think I'd take Daniel in this one. Daniel's well, a better finisher. You know what? Daniel's a better finisher. John will say BX versus Marchant. I think anybody against Brad Marchand. I had Brad Marchand going against uh, Ryan Callahan. That's the guy he licked. <laughs> right? So how did it, you know, when you lick someone's face, mm-hmm. there's the, there's time to get into it. That I mean, the Brad Marchand's got to be somewhere on this card. Uh, Burroughs and Bergeron. Thinks picks, who's that? Burroughs and Bergeron. You know, the old finger oh, bite. Right? Yes. Settle yeah, it in there. the ring. Uh, and here's my uh, here's here's another one I'll throw at you. I'll leave it on this, okay? Because today is the 25th anniversary of when it all went down. One of the ultimate heartbreaks in Montreal Canadiens history, when Patrick Waugh quit on the Montreal Canadiens after being left in too long in a game against the Detroit Red Wings. Mario Tremblay, Patrick Waugh. Settle it in the ring once and for all on pay-per-view. Mario Tremblay just said something to Patrick Waugh. Patrick Waugh leaned over and spoke to the president of the Canadians organization. You can bet that's going to draw some questions after this hockey game. Hey, you'd watch that. You'd watch that. I know you would watch that. Yeah. To this day, like, did they ever bury the hatchet and all that stuff? Like, I don't think they have, have they? No. 
Oh, it's I an mean, article I mean, on Sports Sports Sportsnet uh, about it in the 25th anniversary that our our colleague Eric Engel has written. I don't know. Have like our, they're not having a glass of red. I don't think. Well, they were former teammates, and they didn't like each other as teammates, and, let alone as yeah. coach and player. And uh, you know, I mean, honestly, like look at the hard feelings. Look at the impact. You know, I remember. You know, I remember Dave Pratt. Uh, you know, in a, in a big scrum. You know, when when Mario Tremblay was an assistant coach with. Um, with the Minnesota Wild under Jacques Lemaire. And I remember Dave was the one in the scrum who had said, hey, you know, it's the anniversary of, um, you know, the anniversary of the, of, you know, of Patrick Roy, leave it out. And, and Tremblay, and this had to be, this had to be five or six years after the fact. And, and Trombley exploded in this, like, just his face turned beat red. He just, what? Oh, and, and stormed off. And there had to be, there had to be, tw- you know, at least a dozen people standing in for this scrum for an assistant really? coach. And that was, and, and Trombley, you know, everybody kind of threw a couple of light questions. Oh, a big game tonight. And then all of a sudden it was like, it's the anniversary and just Trombley exploded. And I mean, we're talking a, more than a half a decade after this had happened. And he refused to go down that road. I mean, it's, it's the hard feelings. You look at where the franchise went. Like, the Habs haven't won a cup since, right? They haven't mm-hmm. even been to a Stanley Cup final since moving Patrick Waugh. And and I wonder, like, tell me this. Do you think the Avs would have won a Stanley Cup without Patrick? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to think that Sackick and right? Forsberg I mean, would have found Yeah, like, it's hard not to think that Sackick and Forsberg would have found a way. But, man, look at how great some of those teams in St. Louis were for year after year after year. Man, they couldn't get out of like round one or round two because goaltending was always their Achilles' heel, right? Like, I, I, I wonder what, what does history look if Patrick Waugh doesn't? Because there's no way, like, if they stay in Quebec, there's no way that Patrick Waugh goes from Montreal to Quebec City, right? He doesn't go to the Nordiques. No. But I, I, no. I do wonder, like, what does history look like if the Avs don't land Patrick Waugh? Patrick Waugh has that incredible run in 93, and a lot of people would have think, you know, thought that's luck. So what is he? So this is the 25th anniversary. It happens in 95. So you got a cup. You're a cocky rookie, in a sense. You got three years under your belt. Trombley has how many Stanley Cup rings? And probably was, listen, I got to teach you a lesson. You're not exactly, uh, you know, you're not who you think you are. You had one good run, and it's going to take more. Uh, leaves Waugh hanging. Waugh, you know, calls his shot and says, get me out of here. You know, I think in the last laugh, there's been plenty of nights where Patrick Waugh just sips his red wine and goes, yeah, who was right? Look at me. Look at how my career ended. And, and what what are you doing now? Uh, and he's right. But at that time, I think, yeah, they didn't like each other. But Mario was part of that history. And maybe he didn't think there was the respect there. But, man, at the time, 25 years ago, to have that play out on national TV, to have him go like oh. that at the president, it, it it was as compelling as could be in that city, I would suggest. If you go to the top 50 stories in the last years in Montreal, that's got to be one, two, or three. Oh, I mean, it's it's crazy that it happened. And the fact that Tremblay left him in for so long, right? I mean, to leave him in like for the ninth goal by the time midway mm-hmm. through the second period and, and was, you know, he had... You know, at one point he had kind of demonstratively threw his arms up, kind of celebrating a save or whatever. You know, people texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty, six fifty. You know, Patrick didn't quit on the team. Trombley left him in intentionally, and you're right, it was yeah. that sort of message attempt, right? But I mean, when Wa got off the ice, like I'm done, like I quit, like I'm I'm done with you guys, like 
we are done. And three days later, like, you know, the fact that it kind of happened and to actually see that three days later, like, man, is this really going to happen? And it tra- and they traded him, you know, and, and look where the Habs are, you know, a quarter of a century later. Like, the team with with the best history in the history of the sport, you know, and they haven't, yeah. you know, they've struggled to win since. Yeah, and it, yeah, you try and find what was the wrong thing to do, and uh, that was it. That been better for hockey, better for hockey in the sense that you know, even though the Habs have struggled, they're still the Montreal Canadiens. They will still have that loyal fan base all over the place. Everything they do will be scrutinized, and better. You know, I think Colorado would win a Stanley Cup anyways, but probably better for the game and the growth of the game in Denver. That Patrick Roy went there. I mean, listen, Patrick Roy, I don't know about your experiences with him, but mine in in small one-on-one conversations or when the Canucks are there and you got four or five guys talking, listen, there is there is an air of arrogance around that man, and yeah. that's fine. He was uh, he was a winner, all right? He was a winner. He did his job. He answered the questions to the media, but he always felt like, okay, do I have to kiss the ring now or what's the situation, Patrick? You can never just have a – Easy going, laid back player, but that's the fiery competitor that made him one of the all time greats. Um, oh, but for better sure. for hockey that he left, but one of the craziest stories that happened 25 years ago today. I mean, he's got four Stanley Cup rings and 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 backed it up with the way he played and performed. Uh, we'll get into this over the course of the morning. Lots of other stuff to get to. Joe Bocop will join us just after uh, seven o'clock. We'll also talk to Stanley Cup winner uh, Ken Priestley. Uh, Ken, uh, part of the Dunbar Lumber team, and a new uh, segment called uh, "How Do You Fix It." And Ken will drop by at seven thirty this morning, and we'll dive into uh, some of the issues uh, with the Vancouver Canucks uh, coming up at seven thirty this morning. Uh, plus, Ian McIntyre drops by on your Canucks commute coming up at. At eight, as we mentioned, six fifty, six fifty. The Dunbar Lumber text line at Sportsnet six fifty is where we're at on Twitter. Elliot Friedman uh, yesterday, pair weighed in um, on the program with Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah as to where things sit right now with the National Hockey League. Things still very quiet, uh, and here we are now into December, and the hope is still that you know the NHL can get playing in early January it feels really ambitious right now but here's what Friedman said is the root of the problem right now with the disconnect between the players and the owners this is all about money okay this isn't about the you know the health and welfare of everybody involved this is about money and you know the thing is like Andrew like money is important you know, everybody says, well, your health is more important. Of course it is. Like, nobody's going to argue with that. But if you lose your business or your business gets hammered because of this, it also affects your, your ability to take care of your family, your mental health, your financial well-being, all that stuff. So everybody who says that money shouldn't matter um, or it's not important it is important. You have to take care yeah. of yourself. You have yeah. to take care of your family. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, so like, why, why are these leagues playing for those reasons? And the players have a vested interest to make sure these games get played too. Why were the Steelers mad last week? Because the, the deal between the league and the players in the NFL is if that Ravens game gets forfeited, the Steelers players don't get paid either. So like, Everybody has so what when I so when I look at this and I look what happens in the NFL and I look at what happens in you know and, and basketball is going to go through this stuff too. I, I just look at it and I, and baseball went through it is all you can do is be prepared for craziness. 
you think you've got a handle on it, we don't have a handle on it. And we don't have a handle on it just in sports. We don't have a handle on it in society. So you better be prepared. The model to me is you better be prepared for anything. Now, I have a theory here. And my theory is that we're going to punt for a couple weeks. They're not saying it, but I don't, I would be surprised. My opinion, I will be surprised if training camps begin before Christmas. I think that the way this is going and, and the, and basically the cases are rising, you know, you're, you're seeing what's happening in California and, you know, basically, you know, that if the sharks want to start, they're probably not going to be able to start at home. Um, they might have to find somewhere else to, to do their camp. I, I think we're going to end up punting this for a couple of weeks. And it's probably the right thing. And if, if I was in charge of both the league and the players, that's what I would do. Because you have to sort out the financial thing. And I don't know if it makes sense to even try right now. I really don't. Perry, you kind of pointed this direction, I feel like, for a while now, that Christmas probably was just going to be downtime and that we'd be looking at probably later than January. And this is what we're now hearing from our hockey insider, Elliot Friedman. Yeah. um, Yeah. And I just thought not so much, oh, they want to spend time with their family. I just think Gary Bettman was just trying to jam this down their throat. You know, we found out this morning since we've been on the air that the Finnish league has just shut down for a bit. How do you start your league and say, guys, let's rev it up. We're ready to go when everything's out of control. But, you know, the the players are not happy with what's going on. And the only way they can kind of make a stand is, yeah, you want it January 1st. We're not doing it January 1st. Um, But, you know, Elliot's right. It's going to come down to money. And they'll be disappointed if they have to roll back even more. But um, what's the option, James? And I think the NHL league offices, as much as they make that ask, well, we, we agreed to something four months ago. They would go, well, what are they going to do if we ask for this? They need to play. Everyone else around them is playing, and we've got nobody coming into the stands. But I think January 15th now, to me, was what I always thought would be. I think we could be even past that, and we wait till February 1st. And honestly, if it's the safer thing to do, the players take the hit. We wait it out for a couple more weeks, and then you can still find a way to give your Stanley Cup away by the end of July was what they need to do. Because of the Olympics, I question how the Olympics are still going to go on in this day, but... Not surprised that that January 1st target seems to be moving as we get near the end of the week. Well, I mean, if there's a vaccine by, say, you know, early spring, you know, can you get all those athletes, you know, vaccinated and and allow for the games to go? You know, just something to think about. But I, I would just say this. The NHL, it worked perfectly in the summer when they slow played it. And it feels kind of awkward right now with the disconnect. And we're all looking at them going, man, you guys are squabbling over money. This is like greed right now. And as Elliot alluded to, this is just all about money. But this might actually work to the benefit basic, uh, based on where things are at right now globally, mm-hmm. as you just alluded to. The Quebec League just shut down this week. The Finnish League just announced that they're shutting down here this morning. Uh, interesting times and maybe slow playing this just might be for the best interest of both the players and the owners right now. 27 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Wednesday morning. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Seaball says just around the corner and why it's time to finally embrace advertising on jerseys. Yeah, I said it. I said it. We'll get to that much, much more. All still ahead here on this hump day edition of the starting lineup on your home of Vancouver Hockey Sportsnet 650.
This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 632 here on this uh, Wednesday morning. James Perry kicking it with you. Uh, sun of the forecast again with a high of 9 degrees. Beautiful start to the month of December. Uh, 51 years ago today, Pear, Vancouver awarded an NHL franchise, which obviously became the Vancouver Canucks. So we ask you this this morning here on social media. Will the Canucks win a Stanley Cup in the next 10 years? Yes or no? That is our poll question at Sportsnet650 on Twitter. And right now, uh, 73% of you say yes, the Canucks will win a Stanley Cup in the next 10 years. Uh, yeah, I would think so. You, you saw the Athletic did a poll with GMs, and uh, GMs weren't uh, with such resolute that the Vancouver Canucks were going to be a better hockey team than they were last year. I do think, listen, we're asking in the next 10 years, you've got two foundational pieces, um, and maybe and maybe a third if Thatcher Demko rises to the level we think. That's a pretty good start to have those two kids around in Pedersen and Hughes and some very talented players around them. Boy, to think you can't capitalize on those two, two, one a rookie of the year, one a runner-up, if you can't win while they're in their prime, uh, oh my goodness. I don't know if you and I are alive to see them win a Stanley Cup, James, if they can't do it in the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here's the thing. If you are all in on Pedersen and Hughes, then you believe that this team can finally win a Stanley Cup, right? And if you think of the history, like it was a slow burn to try to fall in love with the Sedins here in this market. You know, yes. it took a while to really win this market over and, and look at how we now perceive them as kind of, you know, hey, would anybody protest over a statue being built for both Daniel and Henrik outside of Rogers Arena? The way that those guys represented this franchise, this city for 20 years. I mean, they were incredible, but there's a lot of people that are all quietly in the way in the on deck circle saying, you know what, Pedersen and Hughes have a chance to be better than those two guys, right? Talk about I, great dynamic duos, right? I go back to and it, it, it's either today I got to jump into a rundown or was it yesterday that it's Mike Gillis's birthday? Um, Mike Gillis is celebrating a birthday to today or just did in yesterday, and I go back when you think about it, we're asking. PD and Hughes are in their prime. I go back, and I don't know why I always remember this. Gillis gets announced as the GM, goes into the media room, does his big press conference, as is the case sometimes afterwards. He even starts answering more questions after he's done with the media session against the wall. And he was very clear, and I remember I must have built my story around it, when he said, I'm not so sure that you can win with Daniel and Henrik Sedin. He's like, really? You're throwing those guys under the bus? Like, they're the Sedins. But I think his point was he didn't know enough about them. And it's not like Daniel and Henrik, to your point, it was kind of like a slow burn to appreciate what they could do. There was never that electric factor to the first five or six years of their career. Yet instantaneously, I mean, there was no conversation of Daniel Henrik being in a Calder trophy race, right? Instantaneously, it has been there with Petey and Hughes, which we use as a measuring stick on, hang on, they're that good in the league right now. The Sedins grew into superstardom. Uh, it seems like Pedersen and Hughes are on the fast track. You have to stay healthy. That's what I say. If you can't win in the next 10 years with those two guys, if you keep them here, there's a lot of ifs. By the way, uh, Jim Benning on the show tomorrow morning. Um, why wouldn't they? If you're not winning in the next 10 years, like who's coming around the corner 
that's going to be able to make the kind of impact that those two kids did in their first couple of years. 100%. Um, by the way, some other news uh, that the uh, the Anaheim Ducks, latest uh, NHL team pair to uh, announce uh, COVID-related furloughs and layoffs, uh, 15% of full-time staff uh, for the Ducks and their AHL affiliate in San Diego, as well as uh, the Honda Center and rinks. Uh, a lot of people impacted there. Oh. Uh, and here we are, right, uh, just a few weeks before Christmas. Well, so, Imagine that, yeah. James, imagine that area. Like, you know, we've both spent a lot of time in the Honda Center. That 20-mile radiance with Disneyland. I mean, that is, that's Anaheim, right? Yeah. Disneyland, oh. everything that goes on, concerts. There's always so much happening in that area. And I could only imagine if you lived around there looking at that in the last eight months, just going, where are all the people? Nobody here. Tough 100%. news at this time of year to get that. Let's get into uh, today's edition of Seaball Says. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball Says on Sportsnet 650. A report from the Sports Business Journal suggests that Major League Baseball recently sent a request for proposals to 10 or more sponsorship and marketing agencies asking for input not only on pricing, value, and suitability of a sleeve ad patch, but also for a batting helmet decal. And some listening to this are probably screaming already. No, God! No, God, please, no, 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 no. (laughs) In the quest for more and more revenue streams in sports, advertising on jerseys and uniforms have arrived in North America. Yes, MLS takes the same approach as European footy. We see you, Whitecaps, and we've certainly seen it in the CFL as well before the NBA finally took the plunge, and it's paying off for them. Ask teams like the Lakers and the Warriors how a subtle ad on their jerseys have worked out. Lakers got a reported $35 to $42 million over three years from Wish. Rakuten spent $60 million over that same period to run with Steph Curry and Golden State. Now what about hockey? TBA Hockey Insider Renault Lavoie suggested on Reach Deep Tuesday afternoon that the NHL hasn't exactly been warm to the idea for a while now. Well, I know Gary Bettman, the commissioner, uh, didn't have a big appetite for it, uh, I'll say, even a year ago when it was mentioned to him that uh, as a possibility. I think the majority of the owners, they don't really have an appetite for it. They'll, they'll have an appetite and if there's a lot of money that they can get, that, that they can get in return. And uh, my belief is, as of right now, um, we're not talking about big numbers here. So... To me, it's about time. And, of course, many of you are probably channeling your inner Vince Vaughn from old school right now. And Marissa... Don't do it! (coughs) (coughs) Yeah, the long-time old-school-by-nature sport has stayed away from putting advertising on logos, constantly pointing to the gaudy logo-filled jerseys and helmets in Europe. But no one is suggesting that right now. Simple opposite side of where the C or an A is placed and collect the money. In a time that owners are crying poor right now, asking the players for another $300 million in concessions, and the players are griping over a 30 to 40% pay cut this season, added revenue matters. 
And that's why the old school mindset of prioritizing tradition over modern day common sense, well, that that needs to change. Common sense needs to prevail right now. Money, dollars and cents needs to prevail right now. Remember, it wasn't all that long ago that rink boards were bare. Times have changed, especially in this financial climate. The NBA has given the NHL the blueprint, and much like how hockey has followed basketball in so many other directions, it is now time to follow this path too. Besides, Sportsnet Hockey Insider Elliot Friedman hinted at this concept on his latest 31 Thoughts podcast last Friday and told the boys in the program last night, guess what? It's getting closer. I do believe that there are some conversations about those kinds of things going on, and Maybe we'll learn about them when we get to the return to play, whenever that's going to be. But I, I am under the impression now that there are some things the league is looking at that are a little bit different. And here's the reality. That Canucks retro reverse jersey is bad enough. It's not like a subtle ad for Dunbar Lumber would hurt it anymore. And that's today's Seaball Six. Way to spend Ken Priestley's money. Yeah. Why not? He's going to yeah. join us in an hour. Hey, I, I've said it before. Uh, there's two worlds, right? Uh, BC and when we get to AC, before COVID and after COVID. And you can't use the word tradition in anything. We are not doing anything traditional in our, you know, in our world of radio and how we're trying to create. And you're thinking, how do we get some revenue here? Um, if the NHL has their head in the sand, that's ridiculous. You can't scream, we're, we're all the layoffs, we've got no money. Yeah, so figure out a new plan, right? You know, necessity is the mother of invention. You've got people who'd be willing. Someone texted in, and I really like this text. I had never heard of it, thought of it. He signed it as the angry businessman. He says, I don't want to see advertisement on the NHL jersey. Well, you know what, whatever. But he goes, however, I think SkyTrain stations, bridges should have corporate sponsorship names. Why not? Listen, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind if a SkyTrain came flying around all deckled up. We could make some money. I can't believe, I can't believe this province has not had namings writes somebody's name on bc plays for as long oh, as it has that's ridiculous. ridiculous yeah but if there's a chase a chance to make revenue james everyone any good business should be looking at those opportunities right now well and and especially you know from from public institutions as well right i mean if you can have a chance to put some sponsorship on it to help pay for these things i mean you know with public dollars uh and you've got some advertising that helps for sure i i just think look there's a subtlety to it i know there's a lot of people that hate the idea but i would say this if you're the owners and you're asking for concessions in the way in in the neighborhood of 300 million dollars you know what you better find every possible revenue stream possible and if players are going to sit there and piss and moan and gripe about a 30 to 40 percent pay cut guess what deal with it you know what i mean like yeah. our NBA jerseys awful now? I don't think so. Anyway, you get used to it. You get yeah, used to it. That's 100%. Yeah. 100% you get used to it. All right, 6.43 here on this uh, Wednesday morning. Ed Jovanoski will join us coming up at 7 o'clock. Steph Curry launching his own brand. We'll get into that and much, much more with no BS, just PS next here on Sportsnet 650. It's all P.S. No B.S. Right here on the starting lineup. 648 James and Perry. Uh, time for a little uh, P.S. Although I have to tell you, I might be sprinkling in some B.S. here today with one of the stories. But this is fact. 
FPS Steph Curry launching his own brand under the Under Armour name. It will be called the Curry brand. Yo, Mars Blackman here, my main man, Michael Jordan, and Professor Douglas Kirkpatrick of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Yo, Professor, how does Mike defy gravity? Do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know? Michael Jordan overcomes the acceleration of gravity by the application of his muscle power in the vertical plane, thus producing a low-altitude Earth orbit. Oh, what? Do you know what I mean? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Man, when Nike would drop those Jordan commercials, I mean, they were epic. Don't know if Steph will have something like that, but he's creating a network, and it's going to support kids and participation in sports. They're going to put a million-dollar investment into people, programs, products, and places, courts refurbished so they can go out and play. Hey, Steph Curry is a family guy. Uh, Listen, he's a businessman, too. And, you know, I never thought there could be something to compete with the Jordan Brown, but I think Steph might take a run at it with Under Armour. Uh, man, I just don't feel like anybody's coming close to the Jordan brand, right? Jump oh, you're in. not knocking them off the top. Oh, I mean, Jordans are Jordans, right? I mean, th- like, think about this. Like, 30 years later, I mean, having a pair of Jordans still means something, right? I don't know if the Chef Curry's, and I, I, man, I got I got a lot of time for some Under Armour gear, but I just don't think that the Chef Curry's are ever going to come as close to. No, the the, the fact is, and, and we had this conversation once on the afternoon show. There are kids out there who wear Jordan brand or unaware that Michael Jordan was a basketball player. Well, I think just... that's probably changed now, right? Like, I mean, the last dance just rebooted his career and just, I, I don't know. I feel like if, if you're going to be living under a rock if you don't know who Jordan is, even though he's been gone for, what, almost 20 years as a player. A lot of people who live on a rock, pal. You see how many voted down in the States for some guy? Listen, that's another thing. P.S. Uh, what does it cost to win the Masters? Well, a lifetime of work. Here is the legend Vince Scully, who had a birthday this week, by the way, describing Gary Player's final Masters win. And for the third time, Gary Player wins his green coat. Hubert Green had what appeared to be a makeable putt for birdie on 18 and force it into a sudden-death playoff. He backed off. There was a noise. Whatever that was, perhaps, shattered his concentration and he was unable to gather himself again for the supreme effort and he wound up missing the birdie putt. Yes for player! Yes for Gary Player! A 64! A course record! A birdie at 18! He is 11 under par! I have to last. I found that on YouTube. I listened to about 20 minutes of Vince Scully. That first portion, he was just killing time over a font of what the scores were. And he's just telling stories. He went into the pine cones and everything. Gary Players won the Masters three times. What he did this past week is he sold his trophies. And that Masters trophy from 1978 netted just over a quarter million dollars. Claire Drug from the uh, British Open. 143. All his trophies sold made just over a half million dollars, James. So you can find some money. I don't know if he needs the money, but he'll always have Vin Scully calling his master's win. He's a player. You know? Or if somebody, one of his opponents, like, just think had the expression been there, you know, he's a player hater. You know, if somebody had bumped him out of the, off the top of the leaderboard along those lines. You could have. He's a guy who's been in great, great shape uh, getting the job done. Hey, I this is a called BS and PS, and this could be BS, but I, I found it in an English paper. There's a Japanese couple that is married with kids, but the husband 
has not spoken to his wife in 20 years. Within the sound of silence. Lives with the three children and his wife. Wife's name is Yumi. Uh, he doesn't have conversations with them. He will grunt. The story came to light with a, a show, a game show. And the son said, here's the deal. My dad doesn't speak to us. Maybe we can get him talking. So they went back to where the couple met and had their first date. No word whether he started to speak. Now, the interesting thing is he hasn't spoken for 20 years to his wife. Uh, his youngest child's 18. So they are communicating in some way, shape, or form. Shape or form. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and P.S. Daryl Bevel, the new head coach of the Detroit Lions. If you think he's going to have some surprise plays when the Lions take to the field this Sunday, think again. This guy is an open book and so open that he ruined what might be the biggest day for his daughters at his inaugural press conference as a head coach. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, they, uh, two of them. I got two older daughters, and uh, it both happened. But, and the kind of funny story, uh, one of them, um, so my middle daughter's a softball player at BYU, and so she wanted, when she came up here, she's like, I haven't got enough hitting, and I want to go hit. So we went out and hit, and one of them, uh, took a took a softball off the eye, so he asked me why we were in the emergency room um, getting him stitched up, if you can believe it. <laughs> wow. Well, congrats on all that, Daryl. Thank you. Um, I do have to say one thing, though. So the, the two the two guys asked me for my permission. They haven't officially asked them yet, so that's that's where that was. That's, it was just permission. Uh, so I don't know when that's coming. Yeah, it's coming. The two boyfriends asked him that, hey, can I marry your daughter? And then he tells the world in a press conference, Dad, you screwed up. I hope you're better as a head coach. No BS, just PS. Yeah, I guess he left his common sense in Matt Patricia's beard. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Hey, don't tell anybody, but my daughter's about to get proposed to. Oh, my God. And we're going to break right now. Yeah, you can come on the radio and say, hey, great news. <laughs> he told me he's going to propose to her tonight. Uh, next up on the show, what a dummy. There you go. Dum, dum, dum. Uh, five minutes to 7 o'clock on this Wednesday morning. Ed Jovanovski, Jovocop in the house next, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Well, I got to see the face. You have a punch me face or you don't. So I don't know what the proposal is. These guys are here to break it all down. Megatron's kind of a thing of the past, you know, not many people know about that. Now, if he'd have called, uh, said something referred to him like Mandalorian, you know, I think it'd be <laughs> a little more appropriate. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind calling DK the Mandalorian anytime he wants. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Some people listen to music in the morning. I listen to you guys. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. 7 o'clock, what's going on, boys and girls? It is Wednesday morning. Uh, James Perry hanging out with you. Ed Jovanovski will drop on by in just a couple of moments. A reminder that this segment is, uh, or this hour is brought to you by Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, or Buter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. James, Fair? wasn't that, like in that intro we played, and by the way, Jim Schwartz is just talking to the media in Philadelphia going, hey, when I when I called DK Metcalf 
uh, Calvin Johnson uh, and, and Megatron. He goes that I said, he's the greatest football player that I've ever coached. And DK Metcalf is coming to be into that kind of category. And he said, DK said, thanks coach. Like, Hey man, he's the greatest guy I ever coached and you're right there with him. So he's clearing the air. But when, when we hear that clip from Pete Carroll going, ah, you know, Mandalorian, then it works. Don't you think that's the biggest suck up media laugh that's there? Like that guy's just howling. Like, ah, that's great. Like to me, Hey, that's a good comparison. Way to go. Pete Carroll. You are the, you are the hippest six year old ever, but man, that was just the, <laughs> that's super funny coach. Can you ask another question for me? <laughs> Good times. Uh, Jovo, what's going on, man? How you doing, buddy? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. You're doing Got well? football today, Jovo. That's right. A weird timing. But it's, uh, it's been nicer the last couple days. Um, low 50s. So a little unusual for, for South Florida, but I'm certainly enjoying it. A little sweatshirt. For people that can't, some pants. because you're a Canadian that has been living in Florida for several years now, do the conversion for us. What's the 50s workout to temperature-wise in degrees Celsius for us? Well, well, well hang on. What's 50? Well, yeah, what are the fi- what's 50s fi- 50, like? Uh, about nine above. Right. About nine degrees. So about our temperature. Right. It, okay. It's pretty much like a T-shirt for me, but everybody here is bundled up. But it's nice. Windsor skin. I have the steam coming out of it. So, um yeah, it's been nice. A little change from, from the heat. Uh, um, it was Serena Williams or Venus Williams just tweeted saying, this is ridiculous how cold it is in Florida. Oh, you I guys, love it. You're soft. I love it. Maybe everyone else is soft. I love it. <laughs> hey, t- hey, today is, uh, it was on this day back in 1969 that Vancouver was awarded an NHL franchise. I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but your time here in Vancouver, What's your favorite moment as a Canuck? Is there is there one that stands out for you? Uh, listen, my, my every a lot of people ask me, you know, you know, playing in Vancouver, and I and I thought, and Brian Burke always used to say, this is a privilege to play in Vancouver, the organization, you know, the city, and I, I agree with him. I, I think it's you know, there's a lot of you know great things about playing in Vancouver, but you know, personally. I think those runs that we had, you know, the year, I believe it was 03. I think that year that, you know, we had, you know, great opportunity to do some good things. It just didn't, didn't pan out. But I, I think the run we had with our group of core players is something that, you know, I'll never forget close friendships with them. But, um, you know, I think for me, the moment I just, you know, walking onto the ice in Vancouver and, and, and having the passionate fans really get into it and, and and how much they care about their team. Yeah, Jovanovski joins us as he does every Wednesday morning. Yeah, you, you wonder where they are uh, and if they're getting closer. That's our poll question. You know what's another anniversary today is 25 years since Patrick Waugh uh, went off uh, Mario Tremblay and forced the issue with the Montreal Canadiens. Where's Patrick Waugh in, in your estimation of, of the greatest who've put on the pads in between the pipes? Well, he, he's up there. I mean, you know, especially for us, I haven't seen him a lot in, in Vancouver. Um, you know, not only you got to get through, you know, their lineup on the ice, then you got to find a way to beat Patrick Waugh. And, oh. You know, it, it's just like, you know, you're watching him just as competitive as I, you know, I played, I played golf with Patrick, uh, 
you know, a handful of times over, over the years, he's lives down, down South here. And, and same thing on the golf course, this really competitive guy, uh, you know, likes to chirp, but you know, you, you guys remember the, the teams that they had there and, and the last, <laughs> you know, barrier you got to break is, is, is Patrick Watt. It's always tough, but just his competitiveness, how much he loved the game, how much he loved to win. Um, he definitely ranks, you know, up there all time. Yeah, was he was he a talker on the ice with you as well? Like, did did he did he talk smack to you in games as well? I I don't recall talking too much smack, but I, I think he would make these quirky faces at you, knowing good luck, you're not going to beat me tonight. And um, you know, you can see his you know facial expressions. Uh, but he he was that guy where. You know, you can see early on, and there's obviously like any other goalie, you know, early on, you feel that, you know, it's a little shaky in there. So what's the game plan? Just throw everything at the net. But you can see in games, and you felt it as a player, that it's going to be really tough to beat this guy tonight. Were there goalies who, listen, they affect the game by their play, but were there goalies who just chirp constantly that actually could get under player's skin like someone who's, who's out skating? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you hear it throughout the game. I mean, um, you know, a lot of these goaltenders are in their own, in the in the zone during the game. So I, I think chirping at guys would probably be in favor of the player getting the goalie off his game. I don't know. That's just my feeling. I, I felt that, you know, goaltenders, you know, a lot of times when you kind of beak them, you know, they would just kind of be quiet and wouldn't fire back at you. But you get the exception. I mean, Ronnie Hextall, I remember the one play when I was in Florida earlier on in my career. Um, I was in on the play and kind of gave one little bit of a poke when he had the puck covered. So after getting a few punches in the head, I skate away and a puck comes flying and hits me in the back of the neck. <laughs> so Ronnie Hextall grabbed the puck and fired it right in the back of my head. I'm like, is this guy serious? You know, so um, you have the goalies like that where, you know, Danny Cloutier was one of them too. You know, he, he liked to chirp and he liked to get involved physically, uh, you know, with scrums in, in, in his crease area and he's protecting his area, you know, but uh, I thought for the most part, a lot of guys just kind of kept to themselves and knew that they didn't want to get distracted away from, you know, from what he had to do in that. Joe, well, there's not a lot of goaltenders today that can bring that psychological edge that can deflate a team, though. You you, you mentioned what Patrick was impact. Like, you know, if you could get past Sackick, if you could get past Forsberg, if you could somehow get past Hey Duke and Drury and then Foot and Blake and so on and so on, there's Patrick Waugh yeah. waiting for you, arguably one of the top three goaltenders in the history of the sport. But just knowing Bork. you did, yeah, like <laughs> but knowing that you had knowing that you had to go up against Patrick Waugh that night, that had to be like just mentally going, Man, it's gonna be hard to score tonight. Like there's not a lot of goalies that can offer that now that have that mindset where you're going in like maybe Carey Price, but I don't know if there's too many goaltenders today in, in the last decade or so that really give you that sort of Oh man, we're screwed tonight. Guys get hot, right. but not like not like Wah. Right, and, and and it's funny you said that because you know when you walk into the locker room, you see the lineup on the board, and I'd be lying if I said, "Oh boy, you know <laughs> how 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 do we how do we win this game tonight?" 
you know, you look at the, you look at their lineups, you look at their line combinations, and then you kind of look, you know, who's in net and you almost feel like you're behind the eight ball already. And you don't want to think that way because we all know pro sports, anything can happen. You can find a way to win games, but uh, certainly, um, you know, these goaltenders, you know, can get in your head, you know, psychologically where it's, you know, you're, you're going to have a tough time beating them in and, you're right, though. You know, looking in, in today's game, um, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anyone that I probably teams think that they can't have success over. I mean, there's there's better goalies than others, uh, you know, but the game plan a lot of times in those situations, guys, is like we talked about during the playoffs, like for Vancouver. I mean, just throw everything to the net. You know, it's one of those around to go in. It's going to be an ugly one. But um Certainly these guys, you know, for the most part are all good and you got to do some good things in front of them to beat them. And Eddie, I would imagine it's just a natural instinct. You walk in, you go, oh man, look who they have in goal. And then you, you say, throw everything at the net. But I would think almost as a shooter, you're going, you know what? If I don't pick this top, top corner bar down, I'm not scoring on him because he's that good. Does it almost work in reverse sometimes where you don't just hit the net because you never know? But when you have that opportunity, you go, man, if I don't pick this corner perfectly, I'm not scoring on him. Right. There's opportunities during game where you have that chance, you know, to beat him. And, and sometimes it's going to take that perfect shot. But I think for the most part, there's probably a couple guys on a team that listen, hey, I'm going to pick this corner on him. You know, he's kind of weak, low glove or low blocker. But the majority of the team, you know, the instructions are, listen, get bodies in front of the net and find a way if he can't see it he's not going to stop it so um but you look around the league wide guys i mean a goalie is going to see the play he's he's going to make that save these guys are so good today that it is tough to score goals and you look at a lot of the like, goals that are scored you know one on kind of one in front of the net where point play chances but um if there's no traffic in front of the net to have a point shot go in good luck I mean, these guys are just, they, they stop everything. They're that good. Um, you know, but there, there's, a, there's a couple guys that I, I believe that have that confidence, uh, like a guy like McDavid coming in that can beat these guys one-on-one. Uh, Pear, do you want to – With a shot from the outside. Yeah, uh, with the shot. Yeah, no, and it's almost now you're right. you're almost mentally like, man, I got to be – I almost got to be too perfect now. And, and that now that complete – creates a whole different havoc mentally uh, on players trying to score. I, I want to take a detour on this uh, pair. We want you want, do you want to tee up Eddie on this with, uh, with Eddie's appearance on the podcast? Yeah, here? no, you know what Eddie is a rehab from hernia surgery. I, I, I got my walk up to 50 minutes and you, you supplied the entertainment as our friend Shane O'Brien invited you on his podcast, missing curfew. Um, I don't know if that was a couple of weeks ago. But I want you to tell the story you did with them because both Seaball and I are reading Berkey's book. Uh, Berkey goes on about, you know, how he drafted uh, Chris Pronger and the move he made. And what he loved about Chris Pronger was this guy's first pass was unbelievable. On the tape, hard. And you told a great story how you were told to give hard passes because the guy said, man, you passed it as hard as anyone. And then that all changed when you went to Arizona. Could you just let our listeners know? Like yeah. that was your thing, the hard pass, wasn't it? 
It wasn't. I was always taught as a young age, even in minor hockey, the hockey coach, listen, you know, get that puck on that guy's stick as, as quick as you can and put it on his tape. So it was always something I took pride in. And as, as you move up in the ranks, um, I remember my first year in Florida, uh, just watching these guys snap the puck around. And, you know, as a defenseman, you, you got you to get back to the puck quick and you got to advance it quick. And it was just something I took pride in always, you know, trying to snap that puck hard. And it just got to be the Joe kind of over the years, Jovo settle down a little bit. You're going to break my stick. You know, it was one of those things I always, you know, passed hard, but you know, I get to Arizona and, and, and one day in practice, um, you know, same thing, kind of just snapping the puck really hard. And, and, and Gretz comes up to me. He's like, Jovo, listen, you, you if you watch highlights, of, of me pass you ever see me pass the puck hard it was always kind of leading the guy you know putting it into a position you know where the guy can retrieve the pass so it was totally different thinking I mean obviously way different levels of of skill and Wayne thought the day, game is so differently than the majority of the history of the league um but yeah, I guess, but you look in the league today, I mean, all the guys, they snap the puck hard. You know, it's, you pass it hard. It's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's going to get to the guy quicker and it's going to avoid possibly a guy getting his stick in there, you know, to, to, to break up the play. But um, I understand in certain areas where there's, where there's times where you got to lay it in there, you know, with some finesse and some touch. Um, and sometimes you got to snap it hard, but um, so when he tells you that, Jovo, like, and listen, you've you've got the most famous. You tell us once a month, you got the most famous backhand sauce pass ever in Olympic history. <laughs> That's right. right? <laughs> but when right. when the great one tells you that, like, it's I can understand that when you're a forward and Yari Curry's coming in, if you throw a little sauce and let him skate into it. But do you just go, okay, yeah, I never, I never thought of that, Gretzk? Or do you, like the next time you go out to play, do you consciously go, I'm not going to fire this puck up. I'm going to try and just lead my, my forwards? Well, Perry, I always, when I pass the puck soft, I missed my target. So I continued passing hard. And, and it almost makes sense, right? When you try to really think about it, you know, you got you got a forward or your D-man who's moving at speed. You want to be able to kind of hit that target while he's moving. To start guessing, hey, listen, I got to lay it up, you know, five feet ahead of him, you know, because he's going to skate into it just didn't work with me. It just, I, I wasn't that good enough to do that. I mean, yeah, you, you surprise yourself once in a while. You throw a little sauce in there and the guy skates into it and scores. But I, I felt for me to, everything was hard, you, you know, for me. I, I skated hard. I passed hard. Um, I, I tried to hit hard every time. So I kind of knew one pace. So um, when Wayne kind of gave me a different look on it, um, it kind of went in one ear out the other and I continued to pass hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, what, does he, what does he know? <laughs> exactly. You got a lot of nerve. You know what? I'll be fine on my own here. Thanks, man. Um, right. Brian Burke, in, in, in his book, raves about how Chris Pronger had the best first pass of any defenseman, better than Scott Niedermeyer, you know, just the way he could snap that thing. Who, in your opinion, had that that best touch, uh, that, that first 
that first pass out of your end as a defenseman uh, from your time? Uh, guys I played with, or whether guys I, you I mean, played with, or guys you just guys guys you admired when you played, even didn't yeah, have to like play Nick, with them. A Lidstrom, I mean, yeah. he, he would go back. I, I've never seen this guy, you know, miss a pass coming out out of the zone. And what was so impressive about Nick was he did things. He didn't look like he was out of control at any point on the ice. He would go back. His forwards be in position. Whatever play was in front of him, he made that pass. Whether it was a five-foot pass or a 20-foot pass, you know, he always advanced the puck. And as a defenseman, you know, you're constantly told that, you know, by your coaches, hey, listen, whatever's in front of you, make that play. Don't skate another 10, 15 feet and then try to make the play. Whatever you, whatever you see quick, you know, move the puck. The puck moves quicker than guys do. You can beat this guy. And another thing was impressive about him too is you rarely saw him handle the puck, you know, over the red line. He was always a guy that would get back. Uh, and maybe that's the, the talent that he had when he was playing with guys in position, that they're always coming through the neutral zone with speed, that he can advance the puck and then the players do the work. Now, he was great on the point with a shot. He was creative. He did a lot of good things, but... He's one of the guys that I look at, and and Scotty Niedermeyer too. I, I felt, and Pronger too. And Pronger was good because he was so deceptive, and I think that's what made him, you know, really smart coming out of the zone. You didn't know what he was going to do. He had that long stick, and he can kind of go in both directions with it. So, um, but there was a handful of them, and I always thought, you know, I remember Craig McTavish told me at the World uh, Championships one time. He's like, you know what, Jovo, you can go back and get the puck. And you make a good first pass, you're going to make five million dollars your whole career. <laughs> you know, it wasn't so that far off? It's so important, right? I mean, to get back to get the puck and get it into your forwards' hands, you know, is is half the battle. And and guys, you know, just so quick, and just quickly here. I mean, Lidstrom also really dangerous from center ice as well, right, Eddie? Right. Hey, let's not talk about that. Okay. I'm not here to talk about hey, the past. Uh, <laughs> you are a sports fanatic, Eddie. Before we let you go, we were talking about some of the matchups after Evander Kane wanted to call out Jake Paul and get into the ring with them. We had a few that we were throwing around. It said Hartley and Tortorella, kind of some fun matchups. There are a couple guys that you played against or you know there's a serious feud going on where – you go, oh, man, if these guys could put on some boxing gloves, even at their age now, they'd like to get it out. Who? who what, what was the one that you guys said? Was it Hartley and uh... – Hartley and Tortorella, you know, Torch yeah. trying to get at them. I thought that would be okay. Yeah, that would be pretty good to see. Um, I'd pay pay-per-view for that. Um, sure. Listen, I, I don't know. I, I The first guy that comes to mind to me would be like an Iron Mike. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Iron Mike and – I don't know, Hitch. <laughs> How about Trevor Linden? How about Linden Messier? Oh, yeah, that'd be pre- that'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get too involved with the coaches' uh, rivalry, but um, I know Iron Mike is pissed off a few people throughout his his coaching <laughs> days with no. uh, other, no. other coaches and players. So I'm sure the lineup would be pretty big to get a piece of him, but. But as Bert, um, as Bert said, right, hockey players all can fight. 
Was there one guy that you needed to get at after it, you know, go, okay, man, you did that to me. When do we play him again? The old, okay, no, they'll see him again later this year. Did you have a guy that was like that, that you had a cheap shot and you said, okay, no, I'll, I'll settle the score. We play him again in January. I never really came across a guy cheap shot other than one time, uh, the uh, Walker kid in, I was playing in Arizona. He was from Chicago defenseman, right-hand shot. I still had the handcuffs on and before I know it, my, you know, my eye was split open. I was on the ice in a pool of blood. So I always, I always felt like this was one guy that I always wanted to get back. Um, I saw him in preseason in, in the, uh, in the bowels of the arena. And I asked him if he was going to hit me right here while I'm turned the other way. So we almost got into it in the bowels of, of the rink, but there wasn't, you know, listen. I, I am I'm a big believer in in in, in hockey players. Uh, the honesty is there. I, I don't think there's any you know ill intentions of of hurting guys. Uh, you get in, into into battle on the ice, and sometimes you feel something's coming your way where you got to kind of drop quick and start throwing. Um, but I, I think the honest honesty integrity is there from from players. So. There wasn't any particular moment other than that one. I felt that I need to to get this guy uh, the next game. So you didn't get him that game? Did he play that game? I I, th- I think I got the night off that game. <laughs> oh, preseason. Hey, these preseason okay. games. I, I I tell you how much I loved enjoyed playing. These oh, games. I, I can I can only imagine. We're, we're up against in the clock here. But t- but tell me this: What was the best fight you ever saw then in the game? Well, man, I, I was—I saw some beauties with Paul Laws and Rudy Postchuk and Rico Ciccone. I mean, oh, geez, oh yeah. man, these were like just in front of the bench when all you hear is this, like, just you know, <laughs> fist to face. And I sat with—I sat with Louser on the plane, um, and poor guy. I mean, t- today I know he's got um, his right wrist is fused together. It, oh. It's probably the width of two fingers. This is the atrophied over the years, but this guy would be icing his 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 hands, and you can actually see the bone through his knuckles. Like he would, I mean, he would throw a couple punches early on that obviously would hit helmet. But um, these these guys were true heavyweights, and um, uh, I saw Terry Karkner and uh, uh, Rob Ray fight where the the gash on Karks's forehead was literally a fire hydrant. Oh. Like it was just I'm like, oh my God. And I remember that scrum I was on the ice. Charlie Huddy grabbed me and literally choked me out. <laughs> like just with a bear hug. I'm like, oh this is what this is what you call like old man dad strength. <laughs> yeah. you know, just like I'm like, I'm good. I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm good. I'm not gonna do anything. You know, <laughs> choking me out on the ice, but um, a yeah, bear man, hug back in the day back in the day there were some beauties and um the fights were always entertaining but you look back now they were scary you know yeah. but that's when each team had that those couple guys that literally played two three minutes a game and were just tapped on the shoulder hey listen go uh go police things out there it's good breakfast talk see the bone <laughs> blood like a fire hydrant <laughs> Enjoy your scrambled eggs, everybody. Compliments of that. <laughs> More ketchup. More ketchup on those eggs. Yeah, I think I'm good. Uh, oh, man. Stay thanks, safe Eddie. out there, Eddie. Enjoy All the right. football today, bud. All right, guys. Take care. Talk to you next week.
Cheers, man. That was awesome. Uh, great stories with uh, Ed Jobanowski this morning here on Sportsnet 650. 26 minutes after the hour. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock. We're going to dive into some Canucks conversation coming up in just a matter of moments. Look, no Tanev, no Markstrom, no Stetcher, no Toffoli. A lot of key losses for the Vancouver Canucks, but it also changes the dynamic behind the scenes, off the ice with chemistry. How do you address that for a team now missing a lot of key veterans? We'll get into it with a Stanley Cup winner, Ken Priestley, next right here on Sportsnet 650. It's time for Mr. Fix-It, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Now, here's Ken Priestley. 7.32, uh, new segment here on the starting lineup as we uh, bring in Stanley Cup winner, Mr. Fix-It, Ken Priestley from Dunbar Lumber. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, gents. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, lots of, I mean... You've kind of seen it from all different areas, man. Scoring phenom in junior, uh, minor leagues, played over in Europe, won a Stanley Cup with one of the most dynamic offensive squads in the history of the sport, Um, and then you coached as well. I I want to throw this at you this morning. The Canucks went through a a very unique offseason. I think a lot of teams across the country did um, with some of the wholesale changes with the roster, but Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, two really popular veteran players who've been with the team for a long time. You know, Troy Stetcher, likable guy as well. Tyler Toffoli, Oscar Fantenberg, all gone from the team. Now, you got two likable guys that are coming in, and from everything we hear about Nate Schmidt and Braden Holpe, they're great in the room. But when you're dealing with chemistry with a young, impressionable team, like, can you manufacture chemistry, or does this just come organically? Like, How does this work with a team that – you know, is starting to kind of hit their their peak here as 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 a group with these young players. Well, I think I think you have to really obviously you have to understand your team, and I think uh, the moves that some of these players or so, the moves that some of these guys made during the off season was they understood that there was probably some leaders that just needed to get out there in the dressing room. I mean, I. I was fortunate enough to play on 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 two NHL in two NHL franchises in Buffalo and Pittsburgh, two totally different, you know, two totally different dressing rooms. One that was really really struggling, but had lots of talent, and uh, and and they were kind of we were kind of figuring out in Buffalo who was going to take the lead. There was a lot of older veteran guys, and then there was a lot of. I think at the time, two years before I got there, they had five first rounders and all, every single one of those players was playing. So it was a really weird kind of chemistry. And, and, and we were good at times, but we were also awful at times. And then I went down and got traded to Pittsburgh. And you go into a locker room where there's arguably, you know, seven or eight Hall of Famers. And you have no shortage of, of leadership in that room. I mean, everybody just looked at Mario and see how he rose up of his stall before the game to see how we were going to be. Because if he got up and was nice and loose, look out, we're winning by a lot. Uh, if he got up and it was a little tight, hey, some other guys had to pitch in. But uh, it was um, it was interesting. But the, in the Canucks thing, I mean, we witnessed, I think, uh, this playoff run, uh, sort of the emergence of, of a lot of different players. And, and I think the Canucks, when they when they realized that Bo Horvat was having the playoff that he was having, when Quinn Hughes was having the playoff that he was having, and, and Petey was playing the way he was playing, 
And then that one dressing room we've seen with JT Miller coming up and, and raw rawing guys, it's their time, right? Like it's their time. When when Jacob Markstrom goes down, everybody in the whole town goes, Oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? And then Thatcher Demko comes up and plays the way he does. We were excited. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, everybody that I talked to around Dunbar Lumber, we could hardly wait for the game to start that day. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> amazing what happens, it, right? Yeah, we were. Can I have to tell you, uh, I'm intimidated by the fact that this segment's called Mr. Fix It because you're a Dunbar Lumber. Seaball has the planters in the treehouse. I'm not any of that. But but let me ask you, you're, you're right. I think you had seven guys on the Hall of Fame in that Pittsburgh roster. But a guy like Rick Tockett is, you know, 27 and now a great coach and seemed to be a leader. You mentioned the Canucks. Do you see players that just kind of naturally grow into that? And Bo would have learned from Henrik, and, and JT would have learned from his experiences in New York and, and maybe around Stamkos too, where when you get to that age, you become a different player when you lock, walk into that locker room because now you go, hey, man, I've, I've got enough under my belt that, that I can be that guy. Oh, for sure. I, I don't think there's any doubt. When you walk into a dressing room, as, as a young guy and you look around the room and you see where I'm going to fit in here. I mean, I'm, I'm dating myself, but back when I played there, you had coaches that came in and they literally said in Pittsburgh, we're going to go starting lineup, Mario, Rex, Kevin, Coffey, and Murph, Tommy, you're net. Right. And then all of a sudden you get a video of JT Miller announcing the starting lineup. I mean, it's, it's totally different now there's a there's a raw raw sometimes into this uh in this game i mean you you as a young player you come in you try and figure out where you're going to play first and if you can fit in first and then you uh, you might have some success and then all of a sudden you get the confidence of your players and your teammates and then you, you you see your confidence and your sort of chemistry with everybody else it kind of raises you know rises up as you go along and and that's what how leaders are made i mean there's very rare times where you get uh connor mcdavid that comes into the league and all of a sudden he's your leader you know he's your leader and that's the guy that everybody's looking at i mean there's a there's there's a pecking order here right i mean the twins were 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 fantastic players for how long but i don't know if they would have got up and said the starting lineup the way jt miller did Right, so there's a different way of getting up for games. There's a different way of of understanding who your leaders are. Um, I think it's time. I think the young guys that are in that room now are fantastic players. They're very fun to watch. They're going to make mistakes, but you've got a lot of experience in that room. And and if the young guys have to take over, and the older guys have to take a little bit of a not a back seat, but just they just lead by example. Um, I think it's going to be fun to watch. Tell me, tell me this on the flip side. You look at the Canucks with all these young guys, um, you know, that are kind of running, I guess, in a lot of ways, like Pedersen and Horvat and Hughes and Besser. Like, they're all going to have to take another step in terms of maturity and their growth as players this year. You look at what's happening on the other side of the country right now, where the Leafs have kind of had the kids running running things for the last few years without success. Now you've got a wave of veterans that are coming in and guys who are like very well established, Thornton, Bogosian, you know, Simmons, Brody. What's the harder adjustment here? I mean, is that going to be, is it harder or is it easier or harder when you've got a wave of veterans that are now coming in to influence the room with a bunch of guys who are kind of the young guys who kind of had the rule of the roost for the longest time? Uh, you know what, personally, I think it would be harder 
to be in Toronto at the moment. I think the Vancouver group has been building for this for for a while, and and we've always seen: Are they going to get there? Is this guy good enough? You know, blah 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 blah. But in Toronto, I think, I mean, every single player in there. If I'm coaching the U18 team at practice tonight, and I'm saying who your favorite team is. You know, and they mentioned the Toronto Maple Leafs. The first name comes to Martin Matthews. Second name, Marner. You know, they, they all know these guys. So those guys have got a big reputations. They've been very successful playing, you know, for the number of years here. But they haven't gotten to that next step. They haven't gone to a second or a third round. And maybe that's why, just because they're young, they haven't experienced that. So they're going to bring some guys in that may have gotten one or two or three rounds deep and played in the final before. So they can sort of guide these guys to say, hey, this is what we have to do, you know, for to, to get to this next level. Whereas the Canucks are, are as a team, are, are gradually getting there. I mean, I think if we all know the two-on-one, if Brock Besser scores in game seven, we may be going to round three. And look how exciting that would have been. But it's a learning curve, right? He's a great save made by a great goalie. You know, obviously Demko didn't stop them all. He missed one, right? And uh, look where we were. Can you mention Connor McDavid? Um, and boy, so many teams, and even with the Leafs, their best players are quite often their younger players. Does best player equal best leader on the team all the time? I don't. I don't think always. No, I, I don't think so. I think there's. Uh, it's a lot of pressure to be Connor McDavid. I mean, every single every single game in game out, you got to be on your game, right? And I think the same with Crosby. All that kind of obviously. You put a C on their letter on their on their chest, and it and it that's your leader. You can tell who your leader is going to be. Um, but it's not always your your top scorer. It's not always your you know your top defenseman. There there are certain guys there that uh, that wear a letter well, whether it be a C or an A. And there are certain guys that don't. And uh, it's a lot of pressure to be a captain at any level, um, let alone the NHL. You know, um, you know. Appreciate the perspective here this morning. I, I'd just be curious. You know, I'm sure some of our listeners hear the ads as well. How many times in those critical moments in games, and and maybe in between periods, or, or going into an extra frame, did maybe say Trotzier or Mario look to you and say, Ken, what do you think we should do at this point? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to brag here and say that I was always in the dressing room hearing one of those guys say that. Okay. But, uh, I I know mm-hmm. from a for a fact that uh, the, the you know the leader the, the leader in that dressing room was Brian Trache, and that was just he had been through everything. And he had won four cups with the with the Islanders. He had been uh, a, a goal scorer. He had been a captain. I mean, he played in every single situation. And you know, he was one of my hero when I was growing up was Mike Bossy. So I saw a lot of what Brian Trache, you know, was. Um, but I really, really appreciated Brian's thoughts, his opinions. Uh, there was times where I got sent down to the minors and, and Brian would be, you know, two, sto- two stalls down and, and he'd just be looking at me going, hey, it happens. You know, pat you on the back, go score some goals, you'll be up here in no time. So those guys are, are, are huge, huge influences. And when you have a team of Yager and, and Mario and Coffee and Murphy and, and Francis and Recky and Stevens, you don't think you're ever going to run into any problems, especially when you have arguably the best player in the world, which is Mario. Mm-hmm. But 
they do, right? They run into confidence problems. And uh, that guy, whatever he said, the whole dressing room went silent. And then they listened to him and take a deep breath, let's go, and uh, look what happened. Do you think, Ken, before we go, that Jonathan Taves could be the Brian Trotche of, of this era? So good at one point, won Stanley Cups, and it seems to me that he would be the one guy willing to change his game just to play it and contribute in whatever role. Because I think Trotche was amazing. What about Bergeron? As good as you can find. Bergeron, you think's the guy? I mean, they, I mean, he could be too. I, I think for what Bergeron went through as a as a player in his early days, and uh, you know some of the some of the injury problems that he did, and now to come back and play the way he's played and have the success that he's had, uh, you you have to say that he's one of the all time leaders for sure too. I mean, Jonathan Tay. It was funny we were talking that last segment with Jovo there, where who was the the arguably one of the best passers? Pronger was the hardest passer, the best first passer. We have in South Delta. Uh, Brent Seabrook grew up here and played through South Delta. I'm going to say that that's probably my, arguably my guy who made always the most consistent first pass. And um, I remember talking to him during their Stanley Cup runs, and it was it was a leadership group there of Keith and Taves and Kane and Seabrook, and and they had the dressing room right. They were the guys that that made that team run. And um, yes, I do think that Jonathan Taves is still that guy and uh you know he led by example all the time and i think he is a rah-rah guy for sure in the room and he gets the best out of his players uh great perspective and a great story in the last couple of weeks uh about uh, everything that brent seabrook has had to endure both from a health standpoint what he's gone through with his uh, with his dad as well and, and great to see that mr seabrook's in great uh you know on the road to recovery and in much better shape these days as well but a, a really good story by the athletic a few weeks ago ken thanks for helping us fix it and uh we'll do this again next week all right thanks guys thanks, ken. There he is, uh, Mr. Fix, Mr. Fix It, Ken Priestley, a Stanley Cup champion over at Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, or Buter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. We got some NFL action. Yes, Wednesday afternoon football is on the slate. Ravens and Steelers. We'll look into that and much, much more. All still ahead on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Megatron's kind of the thing of the past. You know, not many people know about that. Now, I, if he'd have called, said something referred to him like Mandalorian, you know, I think it'd be <laughs> a little more appropriate. Um, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind calling DK Mandalorian anytime he wants. Now, more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. DK Metcalf, the Mandalorian. Oh, I like that. That works. I haven't got into that show yet. Oh my God, pair! Like this season has been fantastic. And Rosario Dawson uh, last week, uh, just a great. I mean, this season's been fantastic so far, and just continues to build. So, and we got a name for Baby Yoda now. Yes, you don't get it in case they get into it. I've I've done my Canadian due diligence over the last couple of weeks. I'll finish it by the holidays with uh, Shit's Creek, which, by the way, is fantastic and deserved all the awards ever. And, and I wondered because, you know, you and I were part of the consortium and Daniel Levy was a big part of the morning show for the Olympics uh, with our network. And I just didn't think that fit. But boy, this kid's talented. A kid, he's a man now, but him and his father were fantastic with that. Hey, uh, we've got a football game today. And here's something you're probably not even aware of. 
It was you and I up against each other in our fantasy league. Uh, you still got an outside shot of winning this week. Do you know that with Claypool? Oh, that's right. Chase Claypool's in the, uh, in the lineup, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean that's right? Like, you forget who your lineup is? Just You played Tua, and he didn't even dress. And you're, oh, yeah, that's right. Chase Claypool's playing today. Well, how many points am I behind? <laughs> man, oh, man. How do you do this? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, what? I, I need, I need forty points to catch you for this week. <laughs> yeah, you need, yeah. And he got forty-two against Philadelphia earlier this year. Yeah, I'll be. I'm not working tomorrow. If he gets four touchdowns, <laughs> forty-three points, I'm gonna wake up and I'll be like Jovo. I'll just join you on hangout when I'm up. I'll be that pissed. You had, didn't you do? Did you do that with me or someone else? Where you thought you had won, and you went on the air and you called it a win, and then you lost by like. One tenth of a point. Yeah, yeah, that was that, uh, last last that. season. Last season, I, I had a comfortable lead, and uh, yeah, got to the Monday nighter, and and uh, and fell by like yeah a fraction of a point. Like that is, like I have I have been like that is my legacy is in the Sportsnet six fifty. Uh, you know, get off to a good start, and um, then just go on an incredible run of losing by three points in fantasy for about four weeks and then I just ah screw it I'm done well it, it should be an interesting football game you know Todd Furman will join us tomorrow on bet the board podcast but uh we had got in our $20 bet on the Pittsburgh Steelers when the line opened last week and it was minus four and then all the COVID stuff this is where the Las Vegas books are, are getting beat I think it's it's 10 and a half now for the Steelers with uh, all the uh, COVID tests and those who aren't playing led by Lamar Jackson so Curious to see RG3 in sports. Starts, you never know. Man. That's why they play the game. Hey, pair like you know the you know if you want to go back to like OG Lamar Jackson, RG three right is getting the start yes. again and, and going back to you know think of the fanfare and the hype and and the you know with with RG three when he was taken going back what eight nine years ago and the excitement and the flashes of brilliance the way that the way we talk about Lamar Jackson the way we talk about Kyler Murray the way even to a degree we talk about Pat Mahomes Russell sure. Wilson like there was a there were there was a dynamic ability with RG3 and then you know was was getting was beat up in the postseason and they played him Mike Shanahan and you know RG3's career like has it was totally compromised and it totally cost him a run at any sort of opportunity at greatness and how many teams he's kicked around now and seems to be in a good spot as the backup in Baltimore, but like RG three was, was supposed to be the guy 10 years ago. But and he was, he was the guy they all talked about, but that's why, you know, the deal with Tom Brady, all oh, look at his records. The fact is he's been able to stand up there that long, but every quarterback you just mentioned, the future of the NFL, including Joe Burrows, who's up for the rest of the year, you know, it's one injury. It's one bad injury derails what could be, oh, this is an instant Hall of Famer. That's why you get worried when Kyler Murray goes. That's why Russell Wilson, you go, man, he's been able to do this for a long time, still scramble when he needs to, and he stayed healthy. That's the dangers of, of going all in on quarterbacks and how much you're paying because RG3 was that guy and an injury. Only his talent has kept him in the league collecting a check, but the career was not what he anticipated seven years ago. Let's hope we don't say that for the vast majority of all these good, young, talented quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Just imagine if the Ravens could pull this off today. Like, if they oh somehow gosh. pulled... Like, handing the, not only the Steelers the first loss of the year, 
but just with everything that they've had to roll with over the last week, and almost a week and a half now, right? And and to to pull this off, like it would be maybe one of the more incredible stories of the football season 2020. Well, there's probably a whole bunch of guys from the the Dolphins team in a senior home in Florida. They're starting to get itchy again. Oh, we got to deal with this again. No, there's not as many around, but you, you're getting to that point of talking perfect season, right? And they've yeah. got two. They play tonight, and then Pittsburgh's again on Monday. So I'm sure they're looking at this. Man, the league has just handed us a raw deal, and Mike Tomlin's got that team firing. But they play the game. You never know. You're right. Could pull it off. Uh, your Canucks commute just around the corner. Ian McIntyre, the triple threat here at Sportsnet, drops on by next right here on Sportsnet 650. Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck commute. Well, Vancouver is moving east, and Chicago is heading west as the National Hockey League took on two new members late this afternoon. Vancouver and Buffalo were given conditional franchises for the modest fee of $6 million apiece. This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski. It's your Canucks commute here on this Wednesday, December 2nd, hour number three of the starting lineup. Sabalski and Solkowski taking you until 9 o'clock this morning, and... On this day, December 2nd, 1969, 51 years ago today, Pair, the Vancouver Canucks, um, they, they they became a thing as the city of Vancouver awarded an NHL franchise. And there's the voice of, uh, man, a guy who was one of, like, the voices for Canadian uh, across the country, Don Chevrier. Uh, Blue Jays games, uh, boy, calling uh, hockey games as well, uh, a fixture in another lifetime, and... Uh, Don Chevrier making that announcement as Vancouver was awarded an NHL franchise on this day and still waiting for that first cup. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was, geez, I haven't heard of Don Chevrier forever with one of the great announcers in the 70s. Our poll question this morning, and again, it seems like there's some uh, Twitter issues or either that there's only about 10 people uh, listening to any radio with a sports version right now. But uh, well, 51 years yeah, ago, so we're asking you something very simple. Um, you know what? Do you think they're winning a Stanley Cup in the next 10 years? You, you've got to say yes, don't you? There are 20% of you that are non-believers right now, but 80% buy into it, and you can go through the 50-year history, and I think you could sit and make this argument. We do quite often. I know we're only a couple years in, but you would be hard-pressed to find two better players, younger players, to put on a Canuck uniform. You know, we just talked on the back end about injuries to RJ3, and you can have what most – think is such a promising career in front of you, but you need to have your health. You need a little bit of luck. Uh, Canucks have had none in 51 years, but in the next 10 years, they feel in the prime of Petey and Hughes, they'll be okay and they'll get it done. Uh, Ian McIntyre, uh, Canucks insider for sportsnet.ca will join us here in just a couple of moments. A reminder this time tomorrow, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, Jim Benning will join us live here on sportsnet 650. So we'll catch up with Jim as to the off season that it's been, where things sit. And I guess maybe what's next. Interesting uh, article in the athletic yesterday, a poll um, with a lot of front office executives in the East and Western conferences and coaching staffs as well, anonymously polled kind of ranking what, an all-Canadian division power rankings would look like. Kind of a mixed bag for the Vancouver Canucks, wouldn't you say, Pear, in terms of where the placing? I'd say a lot of placing. I'd say overall, the Canucks kind of sit fifth in the eyes of a lot of coaches and front office execs uh, in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and and that's why I... Listen, in, in your own hometown, you think your team is the best, and, 
and, and they've got a chance to go on a real run. And we saw that happen with the Canucks. But the team that they will put together in the middle of January is going to look drastically different. And the question is, are they better? I think they're better down the road, but will they be better now? How do you fill the void at right wing with no Tyler Toffoli, which to me, and I said it going into the offseason, was the biggest issue to make sure they have that guy who can score so you have a legitimate top six. I'm not so concerned about the goaltending. And I know I, I was the guy who said Markstrom is the advantage over Bennington, and, and he was. I just think Braden Holpe is a goalie who can play. And, and that tandem with Thatcher Demko being better than he was last year, that they will survive without Jacob Markstrom. I don't know, you know, Chris Tanev, he was there and he was solid. He was healthy last year. Tanev, if he would have been out for a long period of time, would they have been as steady as they were? So I think they'll get better because people have to grow into positions, but sometimes you go backwards before you grow and take another step forward. And certainly a lot of GMs with what they did in this anonymous poll were like, yeah, you know what, I, uh, I'm i not buying everything that the Canucks have done in the offseason. And I'm not surprised at that number being that low. This team still has some things to prove. No, and, and I mean, the reality with the All-Canadian division is, you know, honestly, every, I think if you asked 10 people, you'd all have 10 different sort of visions of how this thing could play out because the reality, you know, with injuries and all of it, you know, a lot of people like what the Leafs have done the offseason. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be shocked at all if the, if the Toronto Maple Leafs were the number one team in the division, if there is an all-Canadian division. But I'd also not be shocked if they dropped to four or five because, you know, the Oilers are still pretty good. They've still got a nuclear weapon on their roster, two for that matter, with Dreisaitl and McDavid, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of teams. The Montreal Canadiens did a lot of good things in the offseason. Will chemistry impact them? But, man, if they flip the switch. Let's bring in uh, Canucks insider uh, Ian McIntyre here who joins the conversation here on this Wednesday morning. Good morning, iMac. Good morning, guys. Are you suggesting that it would be close in the Canadian division? <laughs> yes, I believe that is the yeah. suggested. Uh, I believe that to be the case as it was last season when you had that huge mosh pit. And, and Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver were all within, I guess Edmonton was a couple ahead. But coming back to the pack, everyone was within uh, a couple of points. And, I mean, that was historic. Literally, there hadn't been a race like that with the Canadian teams that were that close. I don't know that we're going to see history two years in a row if we get a season this year, but it's going to be close. And it's going to be a a ton of fun because – you know, there's so there's been enough change that with each team, there's uh, a degree of unknown. Are they better? Are they not? Are they worse? Are are they not? And then when you factor in that they're all playing each other in uh, the the biggest rivalries these teams have, it, it's it's going to be a riot. It's going to be great. Well, I, and and the great thing is is Ian, like we saw with baseball, is. And there's not a long runway. I mean, you could have good hockey teams that play poor in October and maybe a couple weeks into November and go, well, no, they'll get it together. It doesn't mean much. And if if you're only going 60 games or 48 games or whatever we find out, boy, you can't come up with a slow start. So that much more pressure probably brings even some of the poor teams if they get out, you know, to a running start. I I don't know if we're going to see much separation simply because there's not as many games to play. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, 
that's a valid point. I also think sometimes when the games all mean more because there's fewer of them, um, they're not as good. <laughs> you know, the teams are so worried about about losing. But I think the way the hockey is now, I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, that was the case back after Bettman's uh, first lockout. And they came back with, a, I think it was a 48-game season. Everyone said, oh, this is going to be the best hockey we've ever seen. The games mean so much. Every game is going to be like a playoff. It didn't work out that way because the teams and the coaches were so worried about losing that the hockey was really tight. I mean, it was essentially the start of the dead puck era uh, after the lockout in the year runs through my 94, head, 94, 95. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think we'll see that this time because the guys are so good. Uh, there's so much skill and speed in the game. And how are you going to make Connor McDavid boring? Like, it's just not going to happen. You know, yeah, just, and just for the, the point that we made at the outset of this conversation, um, Edmonton, Toronto, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Vancouver were separated by a total of five points last year in terms yeah. of the uh, the overall standings in the NHL. The yeah. a, a lot of a lot of scouts and uh executives and coaches in this poll that uh, in an article from the Athletic yesterday uh Ian a lot of them talking about and taking aim at, at, at more so about the losses that the Canucks endured this offseason rather than what they were able to add with Schmidt and Holtby. And I feel like this market has has embraced the idea of what Schmidt can bring and people looking at, you know, Braden Holtby's resume is saying, hey, we can, you know, this is this is going to be okay, that, you know, with Thatcher Demko. But I think a lot of a lot of peers around the National Hockey League are looking what Jim Benning's endured and saying, you know what? This is a bigger loss than people realize losing Jacob Markstrom. Uh, do, do you subscribe to this? Uh, it is a big loss, and I don't, I don't get the sense people here have said it's not uh, a big loss. And, and I've said it's a downgrade, and uh, I've said it's a slight downgrade, and maybe it's not going to be a slight downgrade. Maybe it's going to be a big downgrade. But the reason I say slight downgrade is because neither Holtby nor Demko is going to be as good as Markstrom was last year. But both those guys are going to be better than they were. Uh, Demko, just organically, he's at that stage of development. We saw what he was capable of in the playoffs. He's not going to do that every game. But he is going to be better than 905, and Holtby will, will bounce back. So it it remains to be seen how much of a downgrade it is. But that downgrade is offset somewhat by the upgrade on defense in the top four because Schmidt is better than Tanev. Mm -hmm. And it's almost impossible to argue that he is not. So the top four has been upgraded, and I've said all along the hole in the lineup is from Tyler Toffoli, who was only here 10 games, but we saw how good he was with Miller and Pedersen. And... They let him go. You know, he, they, I mean, there's no, there's no lone gunman here where you can say, well, they kept this guy instead of him. They chose this guy over to Foley. But you could, you can certainly make the argument, as others have, that with, you know, what they're paying Jake Vertanen plus a buyout somewhere, you could have had, 
you could have had Tyler Toffoli back. So to me, little bit, little bit worse in goal, a little bit better on defense, but they're missing Tyler Toffoli up front. And I know that they yeah. think, Jim Benning thinks, that the attack, the scoring was the strength of the team last year uh, and that they've got players playing up there, especially Pedersen and, and Besser and Quinn Hughes is a huge part of the attack who are con- going to be better this year than they were last year and that uh, they'll be able to survive the loss of Toffoli, who again was only here for 10 games and, by the way, missed their playoff victories against Minnesota and St. Louis because he was injured. Um, but it is, a, it is a big question mark and goal in, okay, they're not as good, but how not as good are they going to be? Are they going to be close like I think they can be? Or is there going to be, you know, a huge drop-off? Is it going to cost them points? But in some respect, I think this is why the discussion of a Canadian division is so good because every team has a question like that somewhere. You know, you look, yeah. look, at, look at Edmonton. I mean, they, they still have the same goaltending that has let them down. <laughs> Yep. You know, but, you know, they added Morgan Riley and, and Kyle Turris, and, you know, those were great, great ads for them. I mean, you could go through the list. Tyson Every Barry. team yeah. has a question or two like that. Well, uh, the one thing, I, and I hate to agree with you, I do. I think uh, for somehow Why we just hate forgot when me? Tyler Toffoli was here. <laughs> I heard that how too. He, what's that? Why do you hate to agree with me? I just, I, it's more fun when you're, you're a very nice guy as am I. I enjoy it more when we don't agree. First okay. of all, if you came onto the show this morning saying if and when they, if they play hockey, that was a negative attitude that I didn't like. <laughs> to but not, you know, I'm, I'm past that. But the thing is, Ian, how much we talked about these guys not having legitimate top six forwards. Yeah. And then when Toffoli comes, I believe Brock was still hurt. And we're going, you know what? And and you can make a case, Tanner Pearson, as the team goes on, maybe it's not top six, but it was just my goodness when Brock Besser comes back, Bo Horvat has a winger. Pedersen has a winger on the right side. We've never had that. I agree. Yeah. I think that's the big roll of the dice. But I would say this. You can go Edmonton didn't answer their issue in goal. Canucks now have gone back to that issue on the right side. But I do think if you're in Montreal and you're in Toronto, You've you've answered a leadership question, and in Montreal they just they loaded a bunch of spots. Um, so I don't know if every team. I think out east, Habs fans and Leafs fans are going okay. Let's see if if we've kind of got the right mix where the Canucks are going. We actually took away from. Do you yeah, agree with my, that, or are you going to tell me I'm crazy? It'd be better if you think I'm crazy. No, well, I think Montreal started farther behind everybody. I think Montreal mm-hmm. had farther to go, and. I, I think that they're better, but they also, other than Ottawa, they had the biggest gap to make up. I mean, Montreal, they, they had a, a nice playoff moment, but they, you know, they were one of the teams. People talk about the Canucks, well, they didn't really make the playoffs. Well, the Canucks were a top 16 team. Montreal was not. And, and so I think Montreal had the farthest uh, to go, and I do think there's still questions about Montreal and, and have, they, have they spent wisely. I don't think there's a question about Tyler Toffoli, except can Tyler Toffoli be as good as Tyler Toffoli? Because, you know, for the last previous four years of his contract, I think he was a point five two or 5.54 points per game player. He's essentially a 20-goal, 45-point guy. But we saw what he did with, with great players in Vancouver, and I think Toffoli, 
I mean, part of the reason where everyone was so excited was thinking about what he would do in the future. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure that Tyler Toffoli is going to score 30 goals for the Montreal Canadiens or, or maybe even 25, depending on, on who he's playing with. So I think, uh, again, to reiterate, I think every team has an issue. Toronto has supposed to have been, has supposed to have been really good for a while. They haven't been. I mean, they they have been good. They just haven't been as good as what people thought they should be with the young stars that they have. So now they got another chance to prove it. Um, we'll we'll see if they do. They got a, obviously a ton of talent. Ottawa's evolving and will be better than they were, but they're still behind everybody else. Winnipeg is still going to have their issues. They're still trying to kind of solidify. Uh, their defense rebuild it after it basically disintegrated and it looks a lot better now than it did before last season. Dylan DeMello is, has really helped them. Uh, but they still have Patrick Liney to deal with. They're going to have that hanging over their heads, which will be fun uh, for reporters. And then, uh, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, uh, all, all with questions, but it's, it's, they're all going to be good to some degree. <laughs> You know, they, this isn't going to be a turtle derby. These are good teams, most of them. And uh, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. For sure. Um, nice to catch up with you, sir. Stay safe out there and uh, nice to talk some hockey there. All right, guys. This morning, have a good even, week. Even if you do agree with Perry. <laughs> turtle Sorry, derby Perry. We'll have to get on the golf course the where we bicker and argue all the time. So. <laughs> Take care. We'll get out there. Yeah. Say hi, Mike. Getting cold. Do you play in the winter? Uh, once healthy, I will. I hear Sandpiper's in great shape, and I saw Zemer with the post of, uh, where was he, Peace Portal? So, yeah, I'll go play. I'll play. We're, we're going to play at some point. Uh, we'll do it in January. All right. Get well. All right. There he is, Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet Canucks insider. Uh, a reminder, tomorrow at this time, uh, Jim Benning will join us uh, live here on Sportsnet 650, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. All right, uh, 19 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this uh Wednesday morning, Perry, we bring in Sonia Aslam from News 1130 from down the hall. And, and Sonia, man, I've been waiting to talk to you about this all morning with the <laughs> WTF moment from the day yesterday. Yeah. You know, living where we do, I mean, we're not far from the Tawasset Ferry Terminal, but like a story, like a car went off the edge. Like, how do you go off an edge? Like, this guy's in bad shape, but a truck went off a basically a ramp at at the ferry terminal how does that even happen that's a great question that's what they're all trying to figure out right now so just so everyone knows at about 12 30 yesterday the coastal renaissance that ferry was docking or had docked at Tawasin, and this person this driver was the last car on the upper deck to be offloaded and he got off the ship. He actually got off the entire vessel. Everyone else was in front of him going down Highway 17. And for some reason, he gunned it, slammed right through a concrete wall, and then dropped off into a holding area, landed 30 feet below on the roof of the car. So imagine how scary that is for everyone else who saw it as well. And they have no idea why. They don't know. Was it a medical incident? Was it something else? No idea. So obviously the next ferry was delayed, yada, yada. But uh, yeah, he's in critical condition in the hospital. And it's it's insane. The, the images that we were seeing of just, you know, the car way down below, it's 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 crazy for sure. Do, do we have an age on the driver? Because that's like you hear about it. And the first thing I think is, you know, sometimes people 
just shouldn't be driving cars due to their age. And You're asking the if there's an L on the break. back of the car or something, Perry. You're asking if there's, if there's an, an L sticker or a on senior? the back of a car. Either end well, of the spectrum. I'm, thinking it, I'm automatically thinking it's a senior. Like, my mom is 90, and she still drives. Good for her. And I, it, no, it's great for her, and she's a good driver. But I even then, you know, I'm not going, yeah, mom, you drive today. I'll ride shotgun, <laughs> right? No, um, never. I think we all so hit a point. Yeah, I think we all hit a point with our parents that you just always end up driving now. Um, yeah, we don't have an age. They weren't releasing a lot of details. And when I spoke to a BC Ambulance, I spoke to Delta Police and BC Ferries. And they just said, well, it's under investigation. We're not releasing a lot because we don't know what happened. And, you know, it mm-hmm. was really troubling because I got the story yesterday and I tweeted out some details and people were not being kind. Shocker, Twitter. Twitter wasn't being kind. But, you know, people mm-hmm. were like, well, he should be charged or this is because of COVID or, you know, just like putting out their own speculation. It's like, come on, guys, we don't need that. We don't need speculation. We don't know what happened. He's obviously not in good shape. Just back off a little you know that kind mm-hmm. of that stuff doesn't help it doesn't help anyone but no insane uh crazy images from that area yesterday and you know we hope he's okay oh my god <laughs> like brenda's first reaction that terrifies me anytime we get off a ferry like, why thanks for making me even think about it now why why but why though as long as you don't speed and go off the ramp she's fine mm-hmm. but don't, don't your brain automatically when you're driving like through you know if you're driving the rockies yeah i mean doesn't don't naturally you think gosh if i sneezed yeah and all of a sudden jarred my wheel <laughs> a quarter of a, a an inch i'm done like that's how the mind works isn't it yeah no it's true and i've driven i've done that drive and it's yeah you always think like what if i just turn a little too far and then everything goes sideways i wear contacts in real life i don't know why i said real life but i wear contacts and when you blink or sneeze your contacts automatically shift and it takes a couple of seconds for, for them to come back those are the scariest few seconds while you're driving because everything goes blurry and you can't see a thing so yes i get it <laughs> all right so think about that the next time you're going to the island or coming back from the island people yes and we do hope he's okay we hope they yeah. figure out what happened mm. and um yeah i hope everyone who saw that is not too shaken up this morning for sure. Well, if you weren't if you weren't before, <laughs> you, you are, are now. now. <laughs> yeah, with, good news, Sonia, with another daily hey, dose of tidings we, and good You know joy. what? We we have to get rid of this whole somber Sonia thing, and I need like a theme song when I join you guys. I need like yeah. I need something to the Imperial March from Star Wars, no. the Darth Vader theme, right? No. Da, da, da. I know Greg had said, "What was it?" Usher's uh, "Yeah," which I was like, uh, "What year is it? 2003." Yeah. And, and fitting <laughs> like, that, fitting this week that like Darth Vader just passed away. That too, is and, true. Uh, that is David true. Prowse, so no, uh, I people say. should text in, text in what kind of theme song you, you think I should have. I'll take Bollywood, or I'll take something else. Yeah, I'm game. Yeah. Well, fine. Maybe we can create something for you. Yeah. Right. Maybe. But like, then, like, honestly, like one out of five days, you come on and make us feel happy. That's oh wow wow feelings are hurt. Listen, it's <laughs> not your fault. It's 2020. It is. It's but the boy, news. Oh boy. <laughs> I try to put a, a spin on it. Yeah, yeah. 2021. It'll be a brighter year for I hope everyone. See, Aslam, I think maybe even the Dragnet theme. Like you're, pre- I know you're pretty plugged in with a lot of cops across the region. You get all the you get all the scoops of what's going on with the crime stories. Like, but no, 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 I don't like that. Hard copy. No, what? No, 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 no. It has to be something else. But have people text in and then give us their suggestions. Okay.
650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. It's new Crime Stoppers. Uh, it is the new Crime Stoppers. Yeah. We're yeah. looking for people to rat out their neighbors for having uh, breaking social distancing rules and uh, looking for theme songs for Sonia Aslam. <laughs> News 11. The perpetrator was seen in the Tri-City areas. No one's... Oh, oh perpetrator. You make me sound like yeah. the Hamburglar. <laughs> I, remember my, I remember doing. I remember doing some, uh, you know, doing some uh, some theater stuff in in high school, and, and my dad coming what? home from work as a as a cop and saying, uh, "Oh, I, I was trying to get a hold of you earlier today. I, there was an opportunity. They were looking for some extras in a Crime Stoppers uh, video, and it was going to get you and some of your buddies to take part." It's like, "Oh, my big acting break!" And it was went down the drain to thinking I could be in a Crime Stoppers video. So. If you think that's your big break, I know, I know. <laughs> Hey, aiming low in Ottawa as a kid, right? So there you go. Hey, Aslam, the one yeah. thing when it comes to headlines, you're not surprised when Seaball said, you know, I remember doing theater in high school. That whole that sentence was jarring, but I was able to recover and tune in for the whole story. It doesn't beat you eating cake out of your closet, Perry. <laughs> that also was that's, a highlight. That's, that's survival. <laughs> that is necessity. He was in theater club by choice. I never did drama or theater. So improv. Did I. Improv. I, improv. I didn't do team. it. I didn't the do improv it. Team. No. Yeah. yeah. I didn't there do that. Yeah, that's it. The improv's impressive. Yeah. I, I guess. I haven't the, seen it. Yeah. Theater I mean, and you learning. Can, you, can't, you can't chirp you can't chirp me for doing uh, any sort of drama with those nut huggers that you would wear in high school there, Solkowski. Oh my god. See stop. those high socks. <laughs> you know what I'm talking that about. I still pickles. wears them. Trust me when Trust. Just wait till you see the Steph Curry brand come out. It, he might be going full retro. Let's hope not. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Aslam. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. See you. There she is, Later. Sonia Aslam, uh, with the latest. Be careful getting on a ferry or getting off a ferry these days. 27 minutes after 8 o'clock, we go down memory lane with Jovokop. Ed Jovanovsky joined us earlier this morning. Great stories on how the great one really kind of mind-screwed with him when it came to dishing off some sweet sauce. We'll get to that next right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 832. Wes and Nanaimo suggesting Perry, uh, Sonia's theme uh, should be the Brady Bunch. Vince and the Loops. Um, Law and Order. I think you need some explanation, though, don't you? Why would. Why the Brady Bunch? Left it at that. The theme from uh, Law and Order for Sonya. It's not bad. Vance from the Loops. We need something for it. It's always fun to talk to Sonya. The uh, anytime we sit in the hallways, a massive sports fan, very good at her job. What's going on in the news? Eleven thirty. So uh, we'll come up with a theme song. We can do it, my friend. Yeah, you just don't. Uh, you just don't want to be. I, I think Sonya is fun. I'm fun to listen to unless she's talking about you because then it's probably bad news, right? Like you're either going to jail or you have yeah. COVID. I think she can separate fun from, okay, hard-nosed journalist. Yep, yep, yep. She's drilling down to get all the answers. Mm-hmm. And then she could go have a coffee. Oh, how's your day? Great. So, yeah, um, that's good. But hopefully the gentleman involved in that accident, the ferry is right. And, and you know, Brenda's right. Those kind of things scare a lot of people. 
Oh my God, is this going to hold? I had a friend, I know we'll get to Jova in a second, who um, they were walking down and it there was a court case and a settlement, but walking down the streets of New York and, uh, you know, you see, you know, those the steel kind of guard, not guardrails, but, you know, you're walking on the sidewalk where it's kind of a vent system. So it's kind of like a, a steel grid and they stepped on it and it fell and they went about 10 feet. Sister was in the hospital for a couple of days. She injured herself. And it was a serious thing. And ever since they told my wife and I that story, if I'm walking on a sidewalk and, oh, there's a little bit of a guardrail there, I'm, uh, I'm just going to walk on the cement portion of that in case that's to give. So those kind of things play in your mind. And so I'm not surprised when Brendan said, oh, I always worry about that happening. And you see it happen yesterday. We kind of buried the lead a little bit uh, with respect to Sonia because um, the news this morning coming down that the, the UK becomes the first country to approve Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for emergency use. And uh, the uh, Scottish Prime Minister is saying uh, they expect vaccines to be delivered over the course of December and this will start to happen within the next few days. So that's the, the first minister expecting all that. And uh yeah. So as of, as of Tuesday, December 8th, so like a week from now, vaccines in Scotland are going to start uh, getting pumped out or pumped into people. Well, I guess we well how about Doc, Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday in the state saying, listen, NBA is going to start. They will probably be the end of it. But could you be playing uh, sporting events in September in front of full stadiums? He goes, yeah, I think that's a real possibility. So, you know, it'll take some time. But if the UK starts it, it'll take some time and. My goodness, wouldn't it be something if by spring or summertime we can actually go outside, sit beside people, and not be concerned? That would we'll be get a, there. I, I think everybody would say yes, except unless those people who have been stealing time at home, as some reports have suggested over the last few weeks. Ed Jovanovsky joined us earlier this morning here on Sportsnet 650, and Jovo took a trip down memory lane exchange. Jovo was known for making a great solid first pass, but, you know, didn't always seem to be appreciated, at least in the eyes of maybe the greatest passer in the history of the sport. Here's Jovo Cup on Sportsnet 650. I was always taught as a young age, even in minor hockey, the hockey coach, listen, you know, get that puck on that guy's stick as, as quick as you can and put it on his tape. So there's always something I took pride in. And as, as you move up in the ranks, um, I remember my first year in Florida, uh, just watching these guys snap the puck around. And, you know, as a defenseman, you, you got you to get back to the puck quick and you got to advance it quick. And it was just something I took pride in, always, you know, trying to snap that puck hard. And it just got to be the joke kind of over the years. Jovo, settle down a little bit. You're going to break my stick. You know, it was one of those things I always, you know, passed hard. But, you know, I get to Arizona and, and, and one day in practice, um, you know, same thing, kind of just snapping the puck really hard and, and, and Gretz comes out to me. He's like, Jovo, listen, you, you, if you watch highlights of, of me pass, you ever see me pass the puck hard? It was always kind of leading the guy, you know, putting it into a position, you know, where the guy can retrieve the pass. So it was totally different thinking. I mean, obviously way different levels of, of skill. And Wayne thought the day, game is so differently than majority of the history of the league. Um, but yeah, I guess, but you look in the league today. I mean, all the guys, they snap the puck hard. You know, it's, you pass it hard. It's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's going to get to the guy quicker and it's going to avoid possibly a guy getting his stick in there 
you know, to, to, to break up the play. But um, I understand in certain areas where there's, where there's times where you got to lay it in there, you know, with some finesse and some touch. Um, and sometimes you got to snap it hard, but. So when he tells you that, Jobel, like, and listen, you've, you've got the most famous, you tell us once a month, you got the most famous backhand sauce pass ever in Olympic history. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but when, right. when the great one tells you that, like, it's, I can understand that when you're a forward and Yari Curry's coming in, if you throw a little sauce and let him skate into it. But do you just go, okay, yeah, I never, I never thought of that, Gretzk. Or do you, like the next time you go out to play, do you consciously go, I'm not going to fire this puck up. I'm going to try and just lead my, my forwards. Well, Perry, I always, when I pass the puck soft, I missed my target. So I continued passing hard and, and it almost makes sense, right? When you try to really think about it, you know, you got, you got a forward or your D man who's moving at speed. You want to be able to kind of hit that target while he's moving. To start guessing, hey, listen, I got to lay it up, you know, five feet ahead of him, you know, because he's going to skate into it just didn't work with me. It just, I, I wasn't that good enough to do that. I mean, yeah, you, you surprise yourself once in a while. You throw a little sauce in there and the guy skates into it and scores. But I, I felt for me to, everything was hard, you, you know, for me. I, I skated hard. I passed hard. Um, I, I tried to hit hard every time. So I kind of knew one pace. So, um, when Wayne kind of gave me a different look on it, um, it kind of went in one ear out the other and I continued to pass hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, what does he, yeah. what does he know? <laughs> exactly. You got a lot of nerve. You know what? I'll be fine on my own here. Thanks, man. Um, right. Brian Burke in, in, in his book raves about how Chris Pronger had the best first pass of any defenseman, better than Scott Niedermeyer, you know, just the way he could snap that thing. Who, in your opinion, had that that best touch, uh, that, that, first, that first pass out of your end as a defenseman uh, from your time? Uh, guys I played with, or whether guys I, I mean, you played with, or guys you just like admired, guys admired, guys you admired when you played, even didn't yeah, have like to play Nick, with them. A Lidstrom, I mean, yeah. he, he would go back. I, I've never seen this guy, you know, miss a pass coming out out of the zone. And what was so impressive about Nick was he did things. He didn't look like he was out of control at any point on the ice. He would go back. His forwards be in position. Whatever play was in front of him, he made that pass. Whether it was a five-foot pass or a 20-foot pass, you know, he always advanced the puck. And as a defenseman, you know, you're constantly told that, you know, by your coaches, hey, listen, whatever's in front of you, make that play. Don't skate another 10, 15 feet and then try to make the play. Whatever you, whatever you see quick, you know, move the puck. The puck moves quicker than guys do. You can beat this guy. And another thing was impressive about him too is you rarely saw him handle the puck, you know, over the red line. He was always a guy that would get back. Uh, and maybe that's the, the talent that he had when he was playing with guys in position, that they're always coming through the neutral zone with speed, that he can advance the puck and then the players do the work. Now, he was great on the point with a shot. He was creative. He did a lot of good things, but... He's one of the guys that I look at, and and Scotty Niedermeyer too. I, I felt, 
And Pronger too. And Pronger was good because he was so deceptive. And I think that's what made him, you know, really smart coming out of the zone. You didn't know what he was going to do. He had that long stick and he can kind of go in both directions with it. So, um, but there was a handful of them. And I always thought, you know, I remember Craig McTavish told me at the World uh, Championships one time, he's like, you know what, Jovo, you can go back and get the puck and you make a good first pass. You're going to make $5 million your whole career. <laughs> you know, wasn't so that important. far off it's so important right I mean you get back to get the puck and get it into your forward's hands you know is is half the battle and and guys you know, just so quick and, and just quickly here I mean Lidstrom also really dangerous from center ice as well right Eddie Right. Hey, let's not talk about that. Okay. I'm not here to talk about hey, the past. Uh, <laughs> you are a sports fanatic, Eddie. Before we let you go, we were talking about some of the matchups after Evander Kane wanted to call out Jake Paul and get into the ring with them. We had a few that we were throwing around. It said Hartley and Tortorella, kind of some fun matchups. There are a couple guys that you played against or you know there's a serious feud going on where – you go, oh, man, if these guys could put on some boxing gloves, even at their age now, they'd like to get it out. Who, who what, what was the one that you guys said? Was it Hartley and... Uh... Hartley and Tortorella, you know, Torch yeah. trying to get at him. I thought that'd be okay. Yeah, that'd be pretty good to see. Um, I'd pay pay-per-view for that. Um, sure. Listen, I, I don't know. I, I The first guy that comes to mind to me would be like an Iron Mike. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Iron Mike and... I don't know, Hitch. <laughs> How about Trevor Linden? How about Linden Messier? Oh, yeah, that'd be pre- that'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get too involved with the coaches' uh, rivalry, but um, I know Iron Mike is pissed off a few people throughout his his coaching <laughs> days with no. uh, other, no. other coaches and players. So I'm sure the lineup would be pretty big to get a piece of him. Ed Jovanovski going down memory lane. Man, how do you take that when Wayne Gretzky kind of gives that to you, right? Well, I, I, there's a lot of guys who played for Gretz that some have some conversations maybe that they don't make public. Of. Really? That's what we got to do? Hey, some guys who were the greatest at their sport or in that conversation don't necessarily make great coaches. And I don't think Gretz's heart was into it. His wallet was. That's why he was there. But, yeah. You know, Gretzky was a guy who could, you know, throw it off a side wall because he knew someone was coming from the other side and the puck would be there at the same time. But you would think an NFL quarterback would go, hey, that tough pass to throw is a little dump over the line and have the guy run into it rather than I'm going to zip it 15 yards. But I guess you listen to Gretz and then you kind of go your way. But how do you do that with the greatest player of all time? You're not passing right. Yeah, you just you just kind of smile and nod in that particular instance, I would guess. 8.45, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the clock right here on Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to uh, 9 o'clock. There you go. Possible theme for uh, Sonia Asler's uh, show. Uh, Appearance daily. Might work. Might work. Could be. A law and order. There's lots of stuff going on there. Um, Trying to find all the positives, right? We're doing what we can't always try and find positive news. It's difficult when you work in a newsroom. You've been in there. I've been in a newsroom. They... 
Um, I'm not going to say they excel at negative, but really news most of the time. It's been really tough to find positive news. But Aslam brings a nice spin to it. She can't wait for the season to get going for the Canucks. Hardcore Canucks fan. Dale Sape uh, from the uh, from the Vancouver Giants uh, had texted in um, just on the conversation about people driving, and you were mentioning uh, about elderly drivers and that. Um, Dale points out that the thing that he has going for him is by the time I'm too old to drive, self-driving cars will mean I only need to remember where I'm going. So <laughs> that's a yeah, valid but thought, Dale, right? but when you get there, you got to remember why did I go? What did I need? Why did I want to get here? Right? There's some reason. Yeah. Uh, Perry, you know how I, I love to bring it back to wrestling. Uh, news this morning, uh, trending on uh, social media as uh, Pat Patterson uh, has died at the age of 79. If anybody listening was a huge fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin in the 90s, Pat Patterson was a yeah. fixture getting uh, his butt kicked, uh, getting stunned by stone cold but uh he was so much more than that if anybody's ever heard of the royal rumble he was the guy who created that was the brain his brain child and uh openly gay wrestler in the 1970s and 80s at a time that you know it, it wasn't quite as socially acceptable back then to uh to be as open um about your sexuality mm -hmm. as he was back then so uh, trailblazer innovator and gone at the age of 79 here he was uh, he was the opponent for Stone Cold on a lot of times. Is that what you're telling me? Well, he was. You know what? He was but behind the scenes. He was Vince McMahon's right hand man. He was essentially his oh, wrestling. He was his wrestling brain. Um, and then he basically became an on camera persona, um, and you know, kind of played a stooge essentially with Vince McMahon's crony. So he would constantly go to the ring and, you know, kind of offering the the corporate office speak, and to which Stone Cold would, you know. Lay them out essentially mm -hmm. week weekly on episodic television way back in the nineties. So there you go. A reminder on this Wednesday, uh, prime time tonight. A Christmas tree will be lit, um, <laughs> and because of that, you can watch football if you wish, starting at twelve thirty. Twelve thirty today. Uh, I, I like the Steelers to continue the perfect run at least uh, for another week. Anyway, uh, we'll see how things impact them going uh, forward towards next week. Uh, and a reminder that tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, Jim Benning, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, will uh, join us in conversation on your Canucks commute at 8 a.m. Uh, the Scott Rintoul Show coming your way in just a few minutes. At the top of the clock, Dan Murphy, Tim McAuliffe, and Emily Kaplan, uh, all slated to join Scotty uh, beginning at 9 a.m. and taking you up until noon today. Uh, we got some football to watch today, man. Enjoy. Good luck. Chase Claypool needs 40 for you to beat me in fantasy. Not going to happen. <laughs> Sounds Steelers. like I'll need it. Take care. We'll be back at it Thursday. Same bad time, same bad channel on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.